0: Maestro, cue the music, please. Oh, yeah. Best 50 pounds we ever spent. Here we go. Are you ready? Here it comes, folks. On the Empire Podcast this week, we're live at King's Place, London, for our 600th episode. Some welly in the balcony. Balcony. Yeah.
1: Stalls. Yeah.
0: Front row. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. <clears throat> he hasn't been on yet. <clears throat> Got carried away there. Uh, anyway, hello pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest landmark episode of Lean, Let me just double check. Empire podcast. With this episode, we are both 12 years old and 600 episodes young. Work that one out, motherfuckers. Um, And believe me, I feel a lot closer to 600 than I do 12. When 600 episodes you reach,
2: look as good you were
0: not. But enough about my ongoing physical and, let's be honest, mental decline. Uh, Let's focus on the here and the now, shall we, folks? I am tremendously excited, it says here, to be back (laughs) at our spiritual home of King's Place in London. Oh, yeah! And I'm so glad you could all join us. Of course, you, the people who are here in the room tonight who made an effort. And the millions watching... Michael McIntyre at home. I don't even know if Michael McIntyre has a show on BBC One right now. I'm just assuming that he does. It's a Saturday night. He will work his way in there somewhere. (laughs) Anyway, this is obviously a landmark episode, and I know what you're all thinking. You're thinking, Chris, have you pushed the boat out? Have you unleashed an incredible cavalcade of all-star guests to mark the occasion? And the answer is... Personally, I'm going to try and keep this one (laughs) low-key. What I do have, what I do have, is an astonishing lineup of colleagues of such lethal cunning. Three of them, in fact. Who gets the sofa? Who gets the sofa? (laughs) That's a big question. That's not a big sofa. But a very big question. First up is a woman who gets annoyed at the slightest geographical discrepancies in movies. And yet she got here tonight by taking the train just three stops from Charing Cross to Greenwich. (laughs) How does that work? Some dark magic is afoot. Do I detect the foul hand of Thor's little brother? Anyway, please welcome our geek queen, Helen O'Hara! Hello, hello! Helen! Yeah. Helen gets the sofa, Helen gets the sofa, lie on it. it. And then Ben and James are going to be in a quandary. What do they do? Do they risk an HR complaint or do they... (laughs) So they sit on that chair at the same time, and then we could have some real shenanigans.
3: Oh, I love shenanigans. This
0: could get real sexy real quickly.
3: Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) Shenanigans, yes. Sexy, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a Saturday night, Chris. I I don't want to have any sexy shenanigans. Thank you very much. I'm watching Michael McIntyre, just like the entire nation. Uh, Sir Michael McIntyre to you. Is it? No. Okay. Next up. Next up is a man who has reluctantly interrupted his busy Saturday evening schedule to come here tonight. And I have this Michael McIntyre. Can you imagine if he came out of the stage and stage, wobbled his head, and ran around? Can't do the voice, but when does that ever stop me, right? Anyway, those plans in full. 7 PM, yelling, June, for a full hour. 8 p.m. Falling for 30 minutes. 8.30 p.m. Watching the first episode of The West Wing whilst fully nude and covered entirely in Swarviga. 9.30 p.m. Dune-splaining to the pizza delivery guy whilst fully nude and covered entirely in Swarviga. And then 10 p.m. just before bed, one last four-hour blast of June! Will you please welcome our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer!
4: I get the sofa! This is exciting.
3: I guess. Yeah.
4: Remember,
0: shenanigans, but not sexy. I'm feeling sexy. (gasps) Is sexy what you call Helen around the office, James? Is that, oh, no, 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 come no. on, come on, come on. Hey, <laughs> Jar! <Come>
3: <laughs> I know they're here somewhere.
0: Oh, dear, no, they're not. They've been fired a, a long time order. ago, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, last but not least is the youngest member of our team. When this pod launched in 2012, he was barely knee-high to a frost giant. But look at him now, he's the nicest serial killer in the business. He is a prince of Asgard, Odinson. He is the rightful king of Jotunheim. Hang on a second, this is just a bunch of Loki lines. That's weird. That can't in any way indicate who might be a guest later on, right? Anyway, you may have an army, but we have a Ben Travis!
5: I would say Ben Smash, but I heard No Sexy on the stage. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Well, that's upsetting.
3: (laughs) Uh, What am I unleashed?
0: 600 episodes. We made it to 600 episodes before we were shut down for being too damn sexy. Uh, All right, so this is a live show, so we're going to uh, dispense with the formula by being entertaining. Um, No. Of course not. (laughs) I wouldn't put such pressure on on you. Uh, We're instead going to talk about movie news first. That's right. We don't do that first, usually, but we do today. For example, last week's podcast, which I wasn't on, so obviously I listened to. (laughs) Yes, in detail. And you covered in detail the news that there might be a Top Gun 3, or did you not cover it in detail?
4: Uh... I think we didn't. (laughs)
3: <laughs> did anyone here listen to the
0: audio? James, you were there. I don't think we did. We I don't did. think we did. I'm pretty sure okay. we did. All right, okay. So what's so. the
3: news, Chris?
0: Well, Helen, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, there is a potential Top Gun 3. So no. Yes.
3: Who would so. have thought that that billion-dollar movie might have a sequel? I, this is crazy to me.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, so it looks like this is just an early development at the moment. Aaron Kruger, Freddie's son, is working on the script right now. Uh, he was uh, one of the original writers on the last movie. And Joe Kaczynski, who directed the last one as well, Top Gun Maverick, which I thought was terrific, uh, is apparently circling it in a plane,
1: <laughs>
0: which is going to take ages. And, um, and Tom Cruise, if all works out, will reprise his role as Maverick. Um, you know, given that it took 30 odd years to make the last sequel, I'm not sure I'm circling any dates in my calendar anytime soon. But do do you think that they should leave well alone? The Top Gun Maverick was about as good as it could possibly get. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't try and do it again in case they make a big mistake.
5: I mean, I trust that team. They absolutely nailed it last time. And I think it's a good sign of like, take all the time you need. You don't need to rush this thing out. We can wait another 30 years. I don't know if Tom Cruise can. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's definitely differently can. to the rest of us, so he probably can. It was weird timing though, wasn't it? Because it sort of came off the back of this announcement that Tom Cruise has a deal with Warners now. He's got a couple of deals with different studios, so it's not an exclusivity deal with Warners, but Warners made a big hurrah out of like, we have a deal with Tom Cruise. We're going to make some Tom Cruise movies. And then very quickly, Paramount were like, we're making Top Gun 3!
0: <laughs> we're away. making the me- Tom Cruise movie, motherfuckers! <laughs> so,
5: it, interesting timing. It's hard to know how much that's... I mean, clearly something that they want to do, because the last one made a squillion dollars, and <laughs> they have all the talent there to do it, but how much of it was like an industry flex? Just to be like, we are the, we're the Tom Cruise people. Fuck you, want us? It's just like, mine, mine, mine. That. <laughs>
0: Just grabbing Tom Cruise like a like a doll. <laughs> David Saslav has him in one hand and and Chief Chief Paramount. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who runs Paramount these days? The mountain. <laughs> <laughs> the mountain is in charge. Who? Sherry Redstone. Sherry Redstone? Oh, there we go. This, uh, Sherry Redstone's <laughs>
1: <laughs> people are in the audience
0: tonight. I didn't know a Sherry Redstone hive was in, <laughs> in operation tonight, but there we go. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on the I, fence.
3: I, I feel like, the mummy aside, Tom Cruise doesn't make a lot of disappointing, massively disappointing films. And I feel like Top Gun, especially, he worked really hard last time to make sure it was right. I feel like he'll probably try to make it, it worth our while again, you know, if they okay. do that. I don't... But I'm also not holding my breath for this one, yeah. I think, like, yeah, we'll see.
0: No. That would be a fool's errand. So
4: I have a thing. Madam Web... so sorry to hear that. Madam Web has a runtime. I know because I read it on the back of an ocean spray bottle. But uh, it's a one hour and 56 minutes, which makes it the longest of those <laughs> Sony movies. So they've obviously been storing up because there is officially spunk everywhere.
1: Yep, Just saying. <laughs> Okay. yep,
0: yep, is a, we're expecting an explosion of... Yeah, web fluid. bump. oh no. Um, so, Madam Web is one hour and 56 minutes. We will sit through one hour and 56 minutes of Madame Web, that is. I suspect I... it will feel every single <laughs> second
4: of
5: that. Every day, every hour, every minute that passes, I get more and more excited for Madame Web and what the fuck that movie is going to be. Um, uh, my wife doesn't know this, she's in the audience... But uh, anybody who has romantic plans on February 14th, that also happens to be bends. the day. <laughs> <laughs> that is the day that Madam Web hits cinemas. Her web connects them all. And that web is the web of lovers around the world. Uh, yeah, what a crazy, crazy release that is. And the, the, the last like week or so of Madam Web marketing has been insane, as you say. The reveal of the Madam Web costume leaked on a Chinese bottle of ocean spray cranberry juice <laughs> is like genius level. No, as intended. Um, they put out all kinds of crazy teasers. Somebody has now figured out that the film is specifically set in 2003. Yes. So not only is it going to be a film that feels like it was made in 2003, <laughs> it is literally set in the early 2000s. That The web that connects them all might just be the internet. At that point, it would dial up. Yeah, the web that really. That's, them all
3: that's is why it's an hour enough. and
5: 56 minutes to try and load a page.
3: The web that connects them all is old enough to drink in the mm. US. That's what you're telling us. Yes. Good Lord.
5: I just, the, there is, I'm not sure there's a world in which this movie is good. And yet, every insane decision they seem to be making and how they roll this out only gets me weirdly more excited. That's Anyone amazing. else?
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, although I am slightly nervous about this February 14th uh, release date because uh, Cupid was working with my mom in the Amazon researching spiders the week before she died, and <laughs> I don't know. It might be a bit, a bit too close to the bone for me emotionally. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This, this movie, th- th- this is a year, I think we talked about this a little bit on the pod, but this is a year in which official MCU has retreated somewhat uh, because of the strikes and because they're trying to get <laughs> they're trying to make good films. Um, and there's only one MCU film next year, and that's Deadpool three. Uh, and and it's like oh, you can just imagine them going oh, this is brilliant. Audiences will learn to fall in love with us again. There won't be a deluge of crap. Uh, And then there are three Spunk movies coming. (laughs) And audiences, most audiences, you guys know because you are discerning, uh, but most audiences don't know the difference. And especially because the Marvel logo is on all three of them, despite Kevin Feige's best efforts to (laughs) take it off, uh, it's on there. So people will look at it and go, oh, Marvel... Listen. Every day's Christmas Eve, right? Every day's Christmas Eve, so they might all be good. Craven the Hunter and Venom, Venom Three, and uh, Madam Web might all be good, but it's uh, it's it's more probable that they will be in the other direction, and then they might they might once again chip away that audience goodwill. Yes, we ch- we
4: chatted about this quite a bit last week. It is a concern. It it is a it is a genuine concern. So I really, really, profoundly hope for Marvel's sake that. All three of these movies are average. Mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we talk more about really weird ideas for movies? Yes. So, the Jennifer Lopez trailer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Has anybody seen it? It comes directly from the dreams of Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> and apparently she dreams of working in the steel foundry where the, the poster for American Beauty was made. I it, There's like... Rose petals everywhere, but it's a steel foundry because it's like Unexpected
0: so what is this? This is a film? Yes. Yes question. That is the question. (laughs) It's called Jennifer Lopez What is this
3: like it's it's the movie that makes that Michael Jackson movie that he made look coherent and well thought out I think it's the movie It 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 makes I don't understand anything about it from the trailer there's, there's a bit where her friends intervene and tell her she's a sex addict and she's like, no, I'm addicted to romance, which is much better. And then she seems to go and she seems to marry um, uh, that dancer whose sister is in movies. Thank you. I was going to say um, Fred Astaire, but Derek thank Hoth. you. <laughs> no, Derekov, and and they dance around a bit, and then but there's also bits like in a sort of sci-fi world, and there's bits yeah. where she's working in a steel foundry, but they make rose petals or something. Right? I don't understand. It's like
4: it's like "Marry Me" meets Flashdance meets Jupiter Ascending. Like yes, it's, it's a real yes.
5: Cloud Atlas vibe, is what it is. It's J Lo's Cloud Atlas, but what if every timeline was all J Lo, and one of the timelines looks like a factory where they make the Jaegers for Pacific? rim. Yes. There is like a giant robot yeah. heart that like, yeah, JLo is like helping to make this giant mechanical heart. And as you say in another one, she's a sex addict. Crazy. You
3: know, and she has a very outrageous wedding dress. And it's just it's a lot. It is it is as much as it can possibly be, I would say. So
4: this is this is I'm this, super hyped. This is me, ellipsis
0: now, colon, a love story. Correct. Isn't okay. It? Okay. I'm I'm very intrigued to hear what Ben Affleck thinks of all this. Uh, he's in the movie, apparently. You get you get I a mean, glimpse of him, don't you, in the trailer? Has anyone seen okay. this trailer? Are we just like talking? No, a lot of people. Way? Okay, yeah. a lot of people have seen it. Okay, good.
3: I, I mean, Ben Affleck has a gigantic phoenix tattooed on his back, so Ben Affleck doesn't get to have a an opinion ben on, on what Justice is League. tasteful, all right? <laughs> okay. Ben, that ship has sailed. <laughs> he has a giant phoenix on his back. Does he? Yeah. Do you remember? No. People know this, right? There, I'm there not the are only photos
5: one. of Ben Affleck, yeah, solemnly staring into the ocean post Justice League with this giant tattoo on his back.
3: Yeah, it was. It, it was after yeah. the breakup with Garner, and he has this. But and he, did may he have ask, removed it. But he had that gigantic tattoo on his back, full color.
0: But here's the thing. He got the tattoo artist just to do some ashes on his back. Oh, and then it became the Phoenix.
5: Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I really hope one of the universes in that film, though, is just about Ben Affleck trying to carry as much Dunkin' Donuts as possible.
3: I know.
0: (laughs) That's his daily struggle.
3: It's a beautiful thing, isn't it?
0: I would watch sad Ben Affleck (laughs) (laughs) dot, dot, dot. This is me, <laughs> dot, dot, <laughs> dot, dot donuts. carrying donuts. <laughs> I would be bang up for that. But yeah, this looks absolutely mental. So is this, I'm I, sorry, I, um, is this a movie? So, so there's an album coming out. Yeah. And this, an and this album? is dropping
4: concurrently with the album as part of the whole marketing rollout. So it's very hard to say what it is.
0: But
3: it's like, it's two hours. So it's not like Janelle Monae, you know, doing a sort of concept series of videos. It's, it's a two hour long two thing. Two hour movie?
4: Yeah. It's,
5: a, it's a film,
4: in inverted commas.
3: It's this is her dot 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 now.
5: And as it says in the trailer, this is from the heart, mind and soul of Mm. Jennifer Lopez. And dreams. My new email sign off is gonna be from the heart, mind and soul (laughs) of Ben
0: Travis. They need to tweak the marketing of Madame Webb, honestly. (laughs) Madame Webb, this is me in 2003. (laughs) Researching spiders in the Amazon a week before my mom died. Um, All right, well, that's that's very exciting.
3: It really is, honestly. I'm so hyped. It's so weird.
0: (laughs) Okay.
4: Uh, Anything else you want to talk about? Did you read anything about Noah Hawley's Alien series, where he has officially disavowed Prometheus... Ethan uh-huh. Covenant. So that sounds like a line of dialogue from a Mission Impossible it movie. It does. I have disavowed Prometheus and Covenant. So Noah Hawley, he is doing the fingering for this one. <laughs> what? You're all filthy. No, uh, no, but seriously, but I, it, it's a smart move. I think he liked the idea that it's the perfect organism, so it's evolved over time. Like it's this, it's this creature that's sort of come out. The idea that it had been, you know, developed as a bioweapon five minutes ago was not something that appealed to him. So he's decided to exorcise both
0: of those films and ignore the concept. And Ridley Scott has just gone, yeah, fuck it. Do you
3: remember but do you remember when we asked Ridley Scott if the Alien Queen was canon to his films and he basically refused to answer? (laughs) Like I feel that there's a lot of that in the Alien franchise of like, I'm gonna take the bits that I like, and the bit that I like is the gigantic scary monster. Yeah. And everything else can kinda fuck off. (laughs) So it's it's in a grand tradition, really, when you think about it.
0: Okay, when's this, uh, when's this out? This... I don't remember. You'll have to listen to the Pilot TV podcast to find oh. out. I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Let's be honest.
5: It's um, really confusing because I think at some point this year we've got an alien movie from yes, Fede yeah, Alvarez. From Fede. We have an alien series from Noah Hawley. We also have a show called Rips it, called Ripley, but that is not an alien Believe it or not. That is a talented Mr. Ripley thing. I, I am going to
0: struggle to keep track of this all year long. Indeed. I believe uh, in you. I believe. I believe we can, we can do it. Um, there's some really interesting casting news uh, that's been going on. So uh, Isaac Gonzalez, Natalie Portman, and John Krasinski are going to star... Oh, oh Helen's Gleason. pointed at me. And Donald Gleeson uh, are going to star in Guy Ritchie's Fountain of Youth in which they look for the fountain of youth in an attempt to crack the secret of immortality. Mm. This sounds like a remake of Indiana Jones yes. and the Last Crusade. They must pass three trials <laughs> of such lethal cunning. I am very, very much on board. <laughs> uh, I wonder who's gonna be playing Sean Connery. <laughs> Junior, <laughs> who is you, Junior?
3: Oh, it breaks the heart.
0: And the head. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah. Anything to say on this, or am I just going to keep on doing Honestly, Professor really, Henry really Jones? Good,
3: really good people, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping, I'm kind of hoping for a proper old adventure movie, like yes. traveling the world adventure stuff. Um, I think that would be nice. I feel like we haven't had that many of those. Mm. What was the last one? The Lost City, I guess?
0: No, that um, thing. The, oh, jungle, okay. the Jungle Cruise thingy. Oh, no,
3: Didn't I don't they, count
0: that. I don't, yeah. I don't count that. Uncharted.
3: No, I don't count that either. No. That was a good film. I've disavowed
0: that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> he disavowed it along with Prometheus and Covenant. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Tom Holland sat on that stage two years ago. Yeah. Just like another famous MCU-adjacent yeah. Tom H. might do in just a few minutes. <laughs> and promoted the hell out of that film. I can't turn on Tom Holland and admit what I really feel about <laughs> Uncharted. Anyway...
3: Everybody tried their best.
0: (laughs) That was a tagline. (laughs) I would love to see that. Madam Web, everyone tried their best. Did they, (laughs) though? I'm sure Dakota Johnson was uh, very invested in that. Um, Actually, that's not the truth, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) If we can get the best thing they
5: could do, sorry, the next part of that marketing rollout after the Ocean Spray thing would be get Dakota Johnson back in an interview with Ellen DeGeneres. That would, that would break the internet.
1: Yeah.
5: Sony, hire me, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if any other movie studios are hiring people, I am also available. Um, uh, should we talk very quickly about the BAFTA nominations? Mm. Because there were some shocking mm. omissions mm and some really, really good ones as well. I believe Mia McKenna-Bruce was nominated for the Rising Star Award. Yeah.
1: That's very yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that's gonna, yeah. And I think you should, well, what, should we all vote now? That's us vote now. I don't know why I would say that. It's not like she's gonna be a guest later on, but that's all vote now. Um, but yeah, what, was, what were the big omissions, Hell's Bells? What got you spitting blood?
3: I mean, uh, Andrew Scott, actually, for lead actor, was the big one for me. Um, He is incredible in All of Us Strangers. I don't think you've all had the chance to see it yet. I think that's next week or the week after. It's out next week, yeah. Trust me, you're going to be blown away. And he, uh, I think that's an appalling omission, actually.
4: Because Paul Mescal got nominated.
3: Yeah, so they've clearly seen the film. The film has nominations. Uh, Paul Mescal is up for Best uh, Supporting Actor, deservedly. But Andrew Scott should absolutely be in there, too. Um, and it was just, it was, I mean, I think Barbie was underserved, but then I yes. generally do. So we,
4: we discussed this on the Pilot TV podcast, and Boyd was furious about Why? it. To which I responded, Fuck you're film. a member of BAFTA, Boyd. Like, this is
5: kind of your fault. Mm. So come for Boyd. All the, of you. the thing that really stands out for me with Barbie is that Greta Gerwig is not up for director. No. And I really cannot think of a film from the last 12 months that feels so like fully formed on the screen, pulled from its director's head, that vision of like, literally, what is this world? What are these performances? How are all these people supposed to act these roles in that way? Like, none of that stuff existed. And the amount of work that Greta Gerwig will have had to put in Mm -hmm. to get that vision onto the screen of something so specific in that way in such an artificial world modulate all of these different performances I think it's really wild that it hasn't been nominated for director it's it's for screenplay which is great um and it's original screenplay as well because um there's been a bit of talk about at the Oscars is it going to be adapted screenplay because Mm. it's Adapted from a doll, I guess yeah, it's a strange construct It's
3: it we've had similar situations in Mm. the past where it's been like um glass onion was nominated for adapted screenplay because Benoit Blanc Existed already, so I kinda can see it. I guess with Barbie, given that yeah, the,
5: the screenplay nomination at least is like, oh, it's at a celebration it of that yeah. of that world of that vision. But yeah. the the direct, how she directed those performances, I think, is a huge but huge it's, part. Of it.
3: It's a big fun blockbuster film. So I guess I can't be. I mean, I agree with you hundred percent. But I guess I can't be too surprised it's not there for me. It was. It was sometimes the categories were really weird this year, like um, Rylane, which I know you love. Chris got some love rightly maybe not enough but it got some but it was up for best British film but not for outstanding debut and that to me is bizarre Uh, you know it feels like people are splitting their votes but in a really strange way and and if you think it's one of the best British films of the year how is it not one of the best debut films by a British producer director or writer of the year you know that's a really strange um distinction I think to make
0: yeah, it's bizarre. And, shame. and Wonka didn't win Best Everything. I know that hasn't taken place yet. I'm but am so sorry, Chris. That's yeah. a, a huge shock. I know there was a lot of uh, kerfuffle over Lily Gladstone being yeah. uh, omitted the from the Best Actress category, is- given that uh, she seems to be a shoe in uh, for the Oscar. Uh, but I don't know how much impact the BAFTAs have on the Oscars, uh, little to none, I would say.
5: Yeah. No Lily and no Marty. No Martin
3: yeah. Scorsese
0: for director as well. That is, that is wild. It
3: no is. Greta Lee for past lives either, by the way.
0: All right, so it is uh, New Empire Week as well. The new issue of Empire uh, was put on sale in all good, evil, and virtual news agents uh, on Thursday. And this is the part of the show now where we plug it relentlessly and uh, entice you to go out and buy a copy at your earliest convenience. I recognize that the shops are closed now. Um, but you can break in. That's totally. You cannot, as your lawyer, you cannot break in. Cannot break in. Uh, None of us have an issue. Does anyone have an issue? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Bring it here. Bring it forth. So, applause! Applause! Excellent. Is this the subscribers' cover? This is subscribers' cover. So this
3: this is yeah the the newsstand cover. We should say is I believe a first in Empire history. Right. This is the first glow in the dark cover covers that Empire has ever done.
5: Ooh. I've got to tell you, when the glow-in-the-dark issues came into the office, we all got really excited because we hadn't obviously had a chance to... to see them in action, see how they worked. So there were a bunch of us running around the office, holding the -the glow-in-the-dark issues up to the light, like charging them up, and then going into dark meeting rooms. Uh, Sophie, our social media editor, was like crawling on the floor, shoving the magazine under a sofa to make it as dark as possible to see if it glowed in the dark. It
0: was delirium. It's what Gozer would have wanted, uh, I have to say. But uh, can we just do a quick experiment? I I understand this may not be the -the glow-in-the-dark cover, but can we turn the lights off and just see what happens? Nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing. Cause it's
3: not the glow in the dark cover. I was hoping it might be the will of the people. Aha. Aha. Oh, oh. Yes. look at this. We have a hero. There
0: we go, on, thank you. This is Graham who actually works for Empire Graham. and designed the cover or helped design hold, the hold cover. Here we go. All right. You gotta okay. charge it up. You gotta charge it up. I, have gotta, I gotta hold it up. Okay. Yeah. Sunbathe with <laughs> it. Okay. This is doomed to failure. All yeah. right. Here we go. How long does it take? Thankfully, this isn't being filmed. Um, <laughs> all right. We need to charge it up. Apparently. Yep. All right. Okay. So let's talk about what's in the issue while I hold it here like a fucking idiot.
5: What's well, in the issue of Empire, folks? You'd never guess, but we've got a lot of Ghostbusters in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we have. <laughs> well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> Very good. <It> does. <gasps> <laughs> And? Yeah, it was good stuff, yes? Yeah, tons of good stuff. I can't see, I'm uh, I'm literally holding the issue up.
5: Big old exclusive on uh, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, speaking to loads of the Ghostbusters, old and new uh, director, Gil Kennan, uh, Jason Reitman, who's co-written and produced this one as well. Uh, so yeah, huge look into Frozen Empire, which sounds amazing, it sounds really, really fun. We have a big piece on Bob Marley, One Love, talking to uh, Rinaldo Marcus Green, the director, and Kingsley Benadire, who's playing Bob Marley, Lashana Lynch in that feature as well.
3: We have, um, a, I'm afraid, due to scheduling errors, two features by me. What are you like? Um, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got the cast and directors of Drive Away Dolls explaining that lesbian caper movie. It's a freaking blast. Um, I also wrote about Mae West, one of the coolest women ever to work in Hollywood. So that was a lot of fun. We also have American Fiction. We have we talked to the director Cord Jefferson about that incredible film we,
5: we have a really big career interview with Diablo Cody, which is an incredible interview. It's like a really honest and revealing interview about her time in Hollywood, uh, the ups and the downs and how weird she finds it now that um, Lisa Frankenstein is being advertised as from the direct from the writer of Jennifer's Body, given what happened to that film and the changing reputation around her work. And yeah, it's really fascinating. It's a, an incredible interview that.
0: Listen, long story short, it's a good issue. Go it's on by, really good issue. Uh, but it. But it feels charged to me.
3: I feel charged. Let yeah, me it, try it feels out.
0: charged. The, the room feels charged. The cover feels charged. Maestro.
3: <laughs> Bradley Cooper is here?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Bernstein. Le, uh, lights, if you please.
1: Oh! oh! Come on!
0: Who are you going to call? <laughs> what are you going to buy?
1: <laughs>
0: That's right. Uh, there we go. New your on sale right now. Let's give it a round of applause, everybody. Hooray! <laughs> All right. Okay. We're rapidly <laughs> running out of time. Uh, let's go straight into the reviews section, shall we? Let's do that. Uh, we're going to start off this week's reviews with the holdovers which marks the re-teaming of director Alexander Payne and star Paul Giamatti uh, 20 years after they last worked together on Sideways. Um, This time, the holdover sees Giamatti play a college professor who finds himself... stuck What? School school teacher. Ah, it's all the same. Who finds himself stuck looking after a young student played by newcomer Dominic Sessa over the Christmas holidays. Who... I can't remember who said... Hello. Helen! Helen's going to do this one. Okay, Hell's Bells. Tell us about the holdovers and why it's amazing.
3: I know me, talking about a Christmas movie. Groundbreaking. Uh. Um, Yeah, this is... Uh, a Christmas movie, contrary to the release date. It's set in 1970, and as you say, it is a grumpy classics teacher um, at a posh boy's boarding school uh, who is lumbered with the job of staying there over the holidays, and uh, which he was, let's be honest, planning to do anyway, but he was planning to talk to no one, and now he has to look after uh, this teenager, and the only other person there is the, is the school-cooked um, played by Divine Jo Randolph, um, who is rightly in, in line for a lot of awards attention this year. Um, and she has been bereaved. She lost her son, who she had raised on her own, sent to this posh boys' school. Um, and then he went off uh, to Vietnam, because of course it's in the middle of the Vietnam War, and and died there. And so she's now facing her first Christmas alone. Uh, Without him and trying to to cope with her grief. So you have these three very broken, very different, very lonely, very miserable people um, who are thrust into each other's company, forced to endure each other. And then start Uh,
0: a podcast.
3: I know, it's just like us. This is Um, how the podcast um, (laughs) began. But no, who who basically kind of find some sort of connection and some sort of meaning very tentatively um, through their time with one another. And I think it's an absolutely wonderful film. It's very, very, very funny. It's also incredibly moving. There were a couple of scenes that really drew me to tears. Um, And I think it's also one that really... um, I mean, it's a great film for Alexander Payne. It's very much a returned form for him after Downsizing, which was, let's be honest, a bit of a mess. Really interesting ideas, but all kind of flying in different directions. This is a really kind of focused story. It's brilliantly character-driven. And I think it's also a brilliant Christmas movie because... Here's my thesis, and I talk about this more in *Bad Humbug, if you want to listen to it. (laughs) Christmas isn't actually a time for romance. Christmas is a terrible time to get together with somebody new. You have way too many other commitments over Christmas, and the last thing you want to do is all your Christmas pictures from that year have some rando in them that you end up not staying with, right? Disastrous time to go on a date. Christmas, however, is a really meaningful time to potentially make connections with other people, whether that's family or friends or anybody else. It's a really good time to work through your loneliness and find some kind of new warmth and connection in a cold and sometimes difficult world. And that's kind of what this film is about. These are people who desperately need Christmas spirit in a way that, you know, beautiful girl and beautiful boy in rom coms just don't. These people desperately need a bit of human love and warmth and charity. And that's what they find in each other, kind of. It, this is not a schmaltzy film. This is, you know, this is very much more that, you know, the first hour and a half of It's a Wonderful Life? This is that a lot of the time, right? So this is not overly sweet. It's not sh- schmaltzy or saccharine. It's a really beautiful film about a tentative little glimpse of hope and connection in the future. I thought it was wonderful.
4: It, it, this feels like this is going to be a bar humbug classic, isn't it? Like it's, for sure, yeah. cause it's, it's, it's all the things you want. Like it's got the kind of ebenezer redemption story, the kind of cranky grouch, and then you get to know him, but it's all about sort of getting past the spiky armor and seeing who people really are. It's, and like, if someone is a raging twat, it's like, why are they a raging twat? So, you know, It's a question know them, James has been hoping things.
3: someone would ask for years. Thank
4: you, Helen. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's lovely. Like it's sad. It's kind of tragic. It's upsetting. It's happy. It, like, it's joyful it's I mean it's wonderful it's a wonderful
5: little film yeah that mix of like the chilliness of the season and the warmth of the Mm. company is something that I think the film just gets across really really well and it's just a lovely thing especially in modern day kind of contemporary cinema to see a Christmas movie about like like normal people and grown-ups. It's not like, oh, we've got to do a Christmas movie. Here's a random relative of Santa who has to take over the factory. It's so Christmassy inside and out, which again is why it's bonkers that it's been released now rather than in December. It's so inherently Christmassy and it feels so in touch with what that season is in a way that most Christmas films kind of get wrong. Very so much. So you watch it and as you're watching it you're thinking, I'm going to watch this every Christmas now, this is delightful, and nothing else really seems like it scratches that particular itch in terms of the, the roster of classic Christmas movies, aside from something like It's a Wonderful Life, which is nearly 100
3: fucking years ago. It, it is genuinely rare to have a Christmas movie that is also a genuine Oscar contender, and here we are, and rightfully so. <laughs> these, are, these are, I mean, I think Divine Joy Divine jo Randolph is rightly the front runner for Best Supporting Actress right now, um, and Paul Giamatti is in with a chance. Uh, in, against very very big competition.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's coming up on the outside of Killian Murphy, isn't he? Uh, he may even win Best Actor for this, and I think it would be deserved because he's tremendous. He's absolutely tremendous in this. Uh, I love this movie. I for all the <laughs> reasons that you guys have already outlined, uh, it's absolutely fucking. Bonkers that has been released in this country on January 19th. Now, I will say, of course, that, you know, it a lot of it takes place after Christmas. And having spoken to Alexander Payne about this movie, he considers it to be more of a winter movie than a Christmas movie. Um, Like Die Hard, I guess. Um, But for me, it's absolutely a Christmas movie. And I can see it going into the perennial rotation when Christmas comes around now alongside Wonka <laughs> Um and gremlins and, and whatnot. It's it's just so good and I think the screenplay by David Heminson, uh is a little bit of a mini masterpiece in Character development and character reveals that you don't fully know what drives these characters Uh, until like an hour and a half in. And it's so beautiful the way that each scene just peels back a little bit of a layer of all three of them. Um, And there's other things going on in here as well. If you listen to next week's interview, I interviewed uh, Giamatti and Payne this week uh, when they were in town. And we talk a little bit about how, for me, it's actually reminiscent of The Shining. And there's a, there's a weirdly Like a little horror thing Going on there as well Not It's not supernatural In any way shape or form But there's a chilliness to it um, That gives way to all this This wonderful uh, And earned emotion uh, We gave it five stars Didn't we? We did yeah Five stars It's absolutely deserving Of each and every one Of those stars Alexander Payne Is a phenomenal filmmaker uh, And this sits up there With his best For me Five stars then For The Holdovers What's next? Uh, it's a double dose Of British sci-fi dystopia Yay! (laughs) Uh, We're going to start with The Kitchen, which is on Netflix right now and which marks the directorial debut of Kibwe Tavares and one Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, It stars Kano as Izzy, who's a man who lives in a huge social housing apartment complex called The Kitchen, in a London many years in the future. And against the backdrop of that being targeted by the authorities for widespread fiction, so they can basically take it over, uh, he embarks upon a tentative relationship with a young boy, Benji, played by Jediah Bannerman, who might just be his son. Who's taking this one? Me.
5: Ben. Yeah, I was incredibly impressed with this film. And seeing what uh Daniel Kaluuya and Kibwe Tavares have done with this sometimes you watch a debut film uh from anybody but also from actors or somebody from a different background who's clearly wanted to make a film for a long time and you watch it and you think this is great but you can tell they had so many ideas and they didn't quite know how to whittle it down into something or it feels a bit sprawling I was so impressed with how focused this film was I thought it created a really compelling world so it's a a future version of london but in a pretty low-key way low-key no tom hiddleston don't go in expecting tom hiddleston nobody Uh, expects tom hiddleston am i right folks (laughs) (laughs) so if it's a very sort of grounded version of future london and just little ideas peppered into how this world works at first i was put in mind a bit of like an episode of black mirror in a way that i was also cautious of like is this gonna feel like it would have been better as an episode of black mirror actually i really think it stands as a film in its own right so it creates this really compelling vision of london that feels futuristic enough but absolutely hits the allegories that it's trying to hit in terms of uh gentrification and the sort of divide in london between who seemingly has and who seemingly has not and uh where these kind of communities thrive and what it's like inside the community and outside that community the world is really compelling and yet that doesn't mean anything if you've not got a strong character story i was really swept up in the story between izzy and uh benji Benji, the kid so izzy yeah he works um Hmm for like a funeral service uh where people's uh, remains are, are planted uh used to help grow trees and there's this whole like little thread going on there that I think is really well drawn He sees Benji uh, at his mum's funeral and he basically has to take this kid under his wing. Weirdly, for everything going on, yes, there's a little bit of Children of Men, you definitely feel the influence of something like Do the Right Thing, but also almost a bit of about a boy, which sounds mental, but the idea that it's about... Uh, Izzy, the the Kano's character, at the beginning, he is a very isolated person, like purposefully. The way he sees himself getting out of the kitchen, which is the sort of last um, social housing standing, the only way he feels like he's gonna get out is alone, by shutting everybody out. And he has to get used to the idea of like, maybe if I let this kid in, I can like provide something for him, but also he could enrich my life too. And it weirdly put me in mind of the sort of emotional threads of about a boy. And I just thought both of those sides of it were were really well drawn—the world and the character story. Uh, Kibwe Tavares, who is the co-director, it did not surprise me to learn that he is uh, comes from an architecture background because the film, the the, the filmmaking, the the shots—they really linger on the architecture of the world in a way that doesn't just feel like, ironically, window dressing. It really feels like they are literally letting the world itself do a lot of the storytelling in a way that I thought felt really confident and really smart. Um, so it just feels very well considered. It feels very like sturdily built. And uh, yeah, I, I honestly enjoy this more than I thought I was going to.
4: Mm, uh, I felt the same way. We gave this three stars, which actually I thought was a little bit harsh. Like, I, I really enjoyed this, for the same reason you're saying. you say know, it. I mean, it's a mix of, of social realism and science fiction, which kind of blows my mind from the get-go, but it has the pacing and tone and feel of a social realist drama, but with sci-fi trappings to it. But it's, it's grounded enough in our reality that it feels a lot like if we get five more years of the Tories, this is what we're getting. Um, <laughs> And it, it, it re- you really feel it, like the police, incredibly heavy-handed. There are food shortages, like it's, it's harsh, but it's it's really gripping. And as you said, the relationship between those two characters is it feels very real. It feels very genuine. So yeah, I liked it a lot.
3: I also enjoyed it more than expected. I would say though that I didn't always, I didn't always feel the connection between the story of the wider world and the kitchen as a place under threat, and then Izzy and Benji separate, like they, those two felt like very separate strands for large periods. They would occasionally kind of cross over and I think at the end they just about came together, but um, but it did feel slightly, so it, it felt like a jump to go from one to the other, you know, th- through the film as it, as it switched from one story to, to the next. And, and I was a bit like, it, it didn't feel smooth to me. That, that's my only real note on it. But yeah, I totally agree on the on the concept of the world and the way it was, it was drawn, it's very, very plausible as a future for London. Very, very plausible.
0: <laughs> uh, can we give a shout out as well to Ian Wright? Uh, Ian Wright, right, Wright, who is in this film as a character called Lord Kitchener. And he's really fucking good. <laughs> An actual performance as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, three stars, but four goals for the kitchen. Uh, and next up in the dystopia double bill, we have Jodie Comer. Battling for survival and sanity In the end we start from Which is Mahalia Bellow's adaptation Of Megan Hunter's novel About a new mother who along with her baby Has to fight for her life after Climate change related disaster Floods London There's Some animated discussion happening on the sofa About who's going to take this one <laughs> Who wants to take it
3: we didn't settle it. We'll do it in
0: a lockstep. <laughs> okay. we'll just, should we all we' Rock, paper, words? scissors, rock, paper, scissors right now. Rock, paper, scissors, Ready? go. Okay, on three. One, one two, three, go. Oh, you might. We okay. always go for the rock. Okay, <laughs> he's not in this one. Okay, one more. One, one two, three. three. <laughs> Helen wins. All right, okay. Well, we're does not that mean I do it right? Helen does it. Helen do it. Does it. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, that's not fair. I, I've um, already
0: laid out the plot, we're good.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Jodie Comer, Joel Fry, new parents, welcoming baby, and oh no, climate disaster (laughs) happening at the same time, if we've all been there. But this is genuinely one of these things where, um, in the same way that 28 Days Later felt to me, I had just moved to London, and then here's this really plausible seeming apocalypse happening, literally down the road from where I was living at the time. He kept going on the DLR lines, and that was not comfortable for me. This feels similar. Like, here is, once again, an extremely plausible London. So, basically, some extremely bad storms hit the UK, flooding starts, and it doesn't stop for quite some time. And so, you have people uh, fleeing to safety, you know, villages putting up walls, not letting people in, things getting very fraught even when you find a place of safety, then there's the continual struggle for food. There's the continual struggle for water. There's a continual struggle for basic, basic supplies because basically society has broken down. Um, and and it doesn't feel a million miles or a million years away. It feels quite plausible. And, and in the middle of this, you have this totally normal woman, um, trying to get by with a tiny baby and trying to keep her family together. And, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to go through all the different stages, but at various points she has to move locations. She has to find new a new place of safety, a new shelter, place of shelter. Um, that's where people like Catherine Waterston come into this. Mark Strong is in this. Gina McKee. Great, great kind of supporting actors kind of turning up. Benedict Cumberbatch, she's yep. also a producer yeah. on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, turning up at one point for one very good scene. Um, And it's all just kind of an episodic, you know, kind of journey of survival, Um, but one that just really feels very close to us all, I think, at times. Um, and, And, yeah, terrifyingly well done. Not a barrel of laughs.
4: Oh, my God, no. I mean, knockabout comedy, this is not. Like, if anything bad could happen to her, it just fucking does. Oh, that's fine, it's not gonna get any worse. And you're just like, oh my God. Uh, So don't go on like a first date or something. Like, don't go expecting like fun times. But it it really is one of those really accessible apocalypses that lands because you're watching this, (laughs) no, genuinely.
3: You know, (laughs) the problem with that apocalypse is it wasn't accessible enough, you know? Uh,
4: (laughs) You might find Tom Hiddleston hiding in one. I don't know, but uh, it's it's it, you genuinely watching this, you think I a hundred percent could see this happening next week under certain circumstances. Like it's it's quite
0: chilling because we'd be of that. okay here. It, it, we might. It's on high. It's on the higher ground.
1: We're not in higher
0: ground. Uh, no, no, but we we close the doors. We'd be fine. We'd have some chocolate lonely. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be totally fine.
4: There are plenty of people to eat. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh.
0: but 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 genuinely, like it's it's really
4: quite traumatic because of that but then also it's kind of a metaphor for you know those first weeks after you have a baby you know early early parenthood that it feels like the end of the world and you see her going through it and yes the world is ending around her but you think a lot of new mothers go through this uh and, and you know and about what a woman's labor is literally um and it's 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 a lot. It is a lot to deal with, but it is very very good. It again has Children of Men in it, has Twenty Eight Days Later in it. Um, but it's yeah, it's really good. We gave this one three stars as well, which again I thought was harsh. So I thought it was harsh, but it is
0: un- well, Yeah, it, it has a, a certain a soupçon yeah hope, a shall soupçon. we say? There is, soupçon, yeah, there is t- hope. A smidge. There is There's hope. A, is a dash. But, uh, but yeah, otherwise at times it was like watching a fucking EastEnders boxer. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> It was just unrelenting misery, heaped upon unrelenting misery. And then, and then you know, a major British character actor turns up just to be miserable for three minutes, and then <laughs> they go off screen, and then it's like a tag team of misery is like, oh, I'll come in and be miserable for a bit. Yeah. And it's not like The Walking Dead where they all have guns so they can at least shoot something to make it interesting. It was just people being miserable. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, <laughs> I mean, that's thankfully, harsh. Uh, it's absolutely 100% accurate. Uh, but thankfully, <laughs> it's also very good. Yeah. Uh, so there, there I brought it right back you see I brought it around you, know, you see, you thought lines. I was uh, ragging on the film but I wasn't also it's a very British apocalypse that everyone is killed by rape. Oh, terribly sorry yes very, very, everyone's apologising for stabbing them so, <laughs> oh, i sorry, sorry terribly sorry I do need your food I do have I do have a small boy dying oh, please oh, I'm terribly sorry oh, don't worry about it it's totally fine I mean um, there is a bit of that in it though there is a little bit of that <laughs> there is a little bit of that <laughs> Terribly sorry. Uh, Anyway, three stars then for the end we start from, and now the end that we end on, and sadly we're going to to do this one very, very quickly because we have to do the audience Q&A bit, is Mean Girls, which is a musical remake, not that you would know it from the trailers, uh, of Tina Fey's movie from 2000 and what's it?
5: But what, there's a new Mean Girls movie? (laughs) But then that's weird because Mean Girls is a very recent movie. And if it wasn't a very recent movie, and if it's somehow a significant amount of years old,
3: this is not your mother's Mean Mean
5: Girls, Ben. That I am a significant amount of years old, and I do not comprehend the world in which we need a new Mean Girls. Because if that film is old, then I am old, and
0: I welcome to my life, Travis. Sooner or later, they'll find something you do care about. And it was fucking Mean Girls.
4: So we should say this isn't a remake of the 2004 film. It is a remake or a, an adaptation of the stage play based on the 2004 film, which was in turn based on a self-help book called Queen Bees and Wannabees. And if anyone, it's actually, it's a parent book. about. And don't forget, of course, the novel Push by Sapphire. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> And the broad strokes plot is the same, it's North Shore High, there is a clique run by Regina George, the Plastics, who essentially ruled the school, uh, in comes uh, Katie Heron, who is this homeschooled girl, and she infiltrates this group to try and bring it down from the inside, and they're singing this time around. Good uh, songs? Do you know what? They're pretty good. They're actually yeah. decent. There are Now, if, has anyone seen the stage show of this? Yes, someone. (laughs) One person. They cut fourteen songs (laughs) out of the show, so it is a lot shorter. The stage shows two and a half hours. This is like an hour and a half, so they've cut it down a lot. They've retooled some of the songs for people whose range may not have been, I don't know, up to it. Uh, But it's still a lot of fun, and actually, the songs really work, and I quite enjoyed that. The problem with this is. Mean Girls is the second greatest team movie of all time after 10 Things I Hate About You, and I love it unreservedly and is a stone-cold fucking classic. So you cannot mess with perfection. So when they come in here and they start essentially taking lines word for word from the original, it's just upsetting because it's not as good. Renee Rapp is really, really good. She's great. As Regina George, she played her on stage. But she's not Rachel McAdams. Do you know what I mean? And then Gory Rice, also very, very good, but she doesn't do as well as Lindsay Lohan does. And it's just... All the way through, you're thinking the other one is better, the other one is better, the other one is better. Like, it's this is fine, but the other one is better.
3: That wasn't my issue with it. My issue with it was more that a lot of the issues in Mean Girls feel like they're different now. It feels like... Mm. I I know some of obviously the bullying and stuff remains, but I feel like teens nowadays have certain different attitudes to things and this hasn't really fully been updated to take a kind of that, like obviously there is posting on social media Mm. in this and stuff like that and there's a different kind of style to the plastics, but it's not, it's still the same attitudes yeah. behind it, and, and that to me didn't quite work. What I did think, who, who, the person I think did came, come out of this significantly better than the original film, is Janice, um, Ollie I. Cravalo, who of course oh. is the voice of Moana, who I thought kind of almost stole the show here. Katie is the, the weakest link, Guri Rice is the weakest Goodbye. link.
5: Goodbye,
3: harsh. Renee Rene Rapp is great but I thought Oli Crivello really mm. ran away with this.
5: And she has the best songs. He has the well. best she songs. She has the best songs. Yeah. The, it is really weird. If you, if you are from my generation, I think this is really the first time that like a core text from my life has been, <laughs> as you say, no, seriously, as Bless you say, you. It's, it's not necessarily a remake because uh-huh. it's a musical, but there are <laughs> large swathes where it's like, uh, just a younger person yeah. saying exactly the yeah. same joke, but it's just a different person saying it. And it's so strange, like we, I've lived through multiple, I don't know, Spider-Man remotes, but each time they're doing a bit of a different spin on it. It, it was such a weird experience for the first time to see something like this, where it's like, here is just a younger person playing this particular role, delivering these jokes and they're the jokes that have become famous yes they 're very solid jokes because it 's written by Tina Fey, mm-hmm. as is this film they they 're solidly constructed jokes, but they've become iconic because of the delivery because yeah. of what they mean in pop culture, and so seeing somebody repeat those lines it just can never have the same impact no. it was a f- i felt like i was having an out-of-body experience it's, it's
3: kind of karaoke it does feel yeah, like karaoke. it's yeah. mean girls
5: it's slightly fetch it's marginally gruel i guess you <laughs> could like say all, the, all those things when they try and bring those things in it's like yep that's a mean girls thing yeah. uh, but then there are bits where like i think a couple of the songs are really good some of them were fine there's bits of new jokes. They have added bits. It might be stuff that's in the stage show that yeah. they've now been able to bring in. The stage here.
4: show's I think, 2017? Yeah, it's been oh, around, yeah, for, it's a been around for a few It's been around for a So, so
5: yeah. this is updated
4: for a modern era, but not updated to 2024. Like, it's updated mm. to roughly 2017, so...
5: And when you hear a new gag, like, they're the funniest bits. Yeah, they are. Because you haven't yeah. heard them before and because yeah. they're Tina Fey gags, and there's definitely bits where you're like, that feels like it would have been on 30 Rock, yeah. which is great. But, it, yeah, if you are a millennial, a younger millennial going to see this,
0: prepared just to feel very strange in the yes. cinema while you're like- I love I... that Ben is having a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely incredible. Uh, we, 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 uh, we gave this one four stars. Mm. Uh, can I just make a quick confession? Did we? Yes, we did. We did. I looked it up on the internet. Um, <laughs> I have never seen Mean Girls.
5: <gasps> And do you know what? I know we can't compare, but like we gave the original three stars.
1: And what got the four fuck? Stars. I know. I know.
0: <laughs> who? Find the byline now. <laughs> I know.
5: It, it really upset me
0: when that's, I put this review. I up. Can't, I, I own can't Mean Girls. I own it, but I've just never opened the cellophane. Uh, all right. Okay. That's it for the review section. And now it's time for the guests. Hooray! But who could they be? They've been outside waiting the entire time to come back on again. Uh, All right, time now for our first guest this evening. And our first guest is someone that I've been trying to get onto a live Empire podcast for a while now, but we've never quite been able to find the time. Luckily, it turns out he can control time, which is nice. He is one of our greatest actors, he is one of our favorite people, and he is burdened with glorious purpose. He is the star of, in no particular order, Archipelago, The Deep Blue Sea, War Horse, Only Lovers Left Alive, Crimson Peak, High Rise, The Night Manager, and Kong Skull Island, and in particular order, Thor. The Avengers, Thor The Dark World, Thor Ragnarok, oh yeah, you're way ahead of me, Avengers Infinity War, a little bit of Avengers Endgame, and of course, Loki, seasons one and two. He is a god, you dull creatures. Now put your hands together for Tom, All right, thanks for joining us. Tom Hiddleston, everybody.
6: <laughs> Wowzers. Goodness me, thank you so much. What, well, I feel very warm now. That was, that was quite that was a reception. Lovely. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: That was pretty amazing. Uh, Tom, what would you normally be doing on a Saturday night? Would you be watching a bit of
6: Ant and Dec, a bit of... <laughs> bit of Michael McIntyre. Yes, the, the, all of those things, yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to match of the day. Um, uh, not this, but, but this is unique and rare and unusual in my calendar, and uh, a great honor, so
0: oh, It's you. a great honor to have you here, and, uh, and thank you so much for doing this, uh, especially since we, you don't have anything to plug, so we don't have anything to talk about, so this is good. So we're just gonna sit here in silence for the next 20 minutes or so. <laughs> Um, where did that, because you have had a number of great receptions from, from audiences over the years. I'm thinking the time you showed up at Comic-Con as Loki, unannounced, stuck in that hotel room in San Diego for days, going nuts. And that that must have
6: been pretty special. Yes. And, um, yeah, unrepeatable probably. Although you never know. Um, (laughs) uh, it was, it was, um... I wasn't even sure myself quite what I was doing or how it was going to go down. I just remember um like a week before or something maybe 2 weeks before Kevin Feige had called and said, "Why wouldn't it be fun if, you know, you came in costume to Comic-Con?" and I, I was and then we kind of you know talked about the idea for a bit and I said, "Well, it should be should it be like a an outfit from, you know, Sort of a place where you get your Halloween costume. Which is, you know, <laughs> or should we actually do the thing? Or should we go um, go big or go home? And we both agreed we had to go big. Um, and it's not Hall H at that time. It's not really uh, any kind of. It's not, they don't, weren't really used to that kind of thing, so I'd done a little rehearsal, but I hadn't done it in costume. I'd snuck in the night before. Oh right, okay. Uh, and just tried to get literally a slightly theatrical technical thing. I tried to work out the levels for my, you know, how loud I had to be because you were coming straight on and giving it a big yeah, yeah. So it was just a little tiny work through of where I should stand because there's not, it's not, if there are no lights. I mean, there's lights in here. Right. Um, and whereas that's just a you know, convention center. So I was trying to work out how I would get on stage and be in the light. But it was all one and done. And um, I still remember the sound. I couldn't hear anything <laughs> for, 20, for about 30 seconds. If anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> but it, 10 years ago now, remarkably. 10 years? 10 years,
0: wow. yeah. So Tom showed up at Comic-Con. Uh, dressed as Loki, which is handy because he plays Loki in, <laughs> in the MCU. If it was Spider-Man, he'd be like, what? <laughs> You're not Spider-Man. Get out. <laughs> With the mask. Uh, and the crowd went nuts. The crowd went bananas. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's just pretty did. hard to top. But the funniest yeah. bit
6: for me was they started, before I'd said a word, I said, how many people in that room? 7,000? It was something like that, yeah. 10,000, yeah. 7,000. People started chanting Loki. It was like being in a band <laughs> <laughs> for 10 <laughs> seconds. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to have to say something in a minute, but I can't hear myself, and you won't be able to hear me. So you have to, at some point, you have to stop chanting Loki. And so I put my finger to my lips, and everybody stopped. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> I should be in a band. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: the power. That's the power the Loki wields. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that something that you discovered quite early on in your journey with that character? The incredible impact that he had on audiences and, it, and the way people act around you and react to you must have changed, I'm guessing, instantly.
6: Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it was instant. It was... Um... I guess I'm trying to remember now what happened in the year after. It, I think the, 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 it was a cumulative thing of, of Thor and Avengers which were made very close to each other and they came out a year apart. And um, Avengers was, a, a, for all of us I think, a, a really uh, extraordinary moment, a turning point. Because it was, it made such an impact that in in that month, in that year, and um, after that, I really noticed. I mm. mean, I, I, I there was something about just people. Loki had had, uh, I don't know, wedged itself it, himself into people's imaginations that summer. I suppose it was. A, it was a big movie that summer, wasn't it?
1: It was
0: pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ever going to see it one or twelve times. Uh, and, but but the reaction to Loki must have been, I think, something that took you, Kevin, Joss Whedon at the time as well, by surprise to an extent, because you would have, I think, been expecting him to be received as the big bad guy. Yeah. And I'm guessing this is going back all the way to whenever you and Ken Branagh started working on the character. Instead, people started feeling sorry for him and sympathizing with him and, and glomming on to him. Now, was
6: that actually what you and Ken were going for in the, in the beginning? I, I think it's something actually far beyond me and Ken and Kevin. And I think we just find anti-heroes interesting. Mm. Heroes we aspire to be as, as an audience, as human beings. Heroes represent the best of us and they have less flaws than us. Antiheroes are, they're more human because they have flaws and sometimes it's the flaws we're focusing on. And if antiheroes are villains, then actually if if you creatively, and all great writers and, and authors understand this, is if you can create a villain from uh, empathy, which is to say that villains are made, not born, like, in all likelihood that it's nurture, not nature. Yeah. I don't know, if, I mean, there's a long debate to be had about that, but you find the point at which, you find the pain, you find the suffering, and inside the pain is vulnerability, and then the vulnerability hardens into, into things like anger and vengefulness and grievance and just, just sort of a desire to destroy your pride, arrogance, all these things we recognize in great villains that they are Tough and steely and um, and proud and mm. isolated um, but behind all of that is probably some suffering and and I suppose that 's what we were thinking about uh, when we made Thor, but we weren 't thinking we were trying to build a a character that was there in the mythology, there in the comics that was in counterpoint to so that thor and loki were growing into themselves together from a place of being two brothers two princes very classical archetypes brothers competing for their father's affection and i think a younger brother living in the shadow of the older one
1: Mm.
6: uh, is a that becomes kind of marginalised and isolated. That's a tale as old as time. It's it's a, a, a trope that exists in in belief systems and mythology as as far back as you as you care to name it. Um, and hanging the story on that seemed really interesting.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a sense going through watching the the MCU. There's a sense of a moment when Chris Hemsworth begins to really take control of Thor and of who he wants to play as Thor and how he wants to play that character. And there's also a sense that and you have also taken control of Loki's journey. And we were talking a little bit backstage, we talked a lot over the, over the years, you and I, about glorious purpose. And that was a, a line that obviously is in the, the Avengers, but that's something that you very, very quickly connected with. And when you got a chance to really start shaping Loki's journey, that was what you wanted to to log on to?
6: Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I feel very lucky that I was invited into creating Loki from the fat first Thor film, really. And the cornerstone of the entire characterization was always that scene in the first Thor movie with Anthony Hopkins as Odin and, and they're in the weapons vault and Loki finds out that he's adopted and that he was never... Related by blood to this family that he was uh, an orphan. He was abandoned and um, the cumulative impact of the truth of his birth and The fact that it's been withheld from him for so long mm-hmm. and suddenly him join the dots just make just is 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 an It's a great scene. It's mm-hmm. a great scene in any drama Son finds out he's adopted, confronts his father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it became that that uh, enormous wellspring of emotion became actually the cornerstone for the whole thing. So by the time I get to Avengers, and I'm in a in a this NASA base in um, uh, Wilmington, Ohio, or I think that was where we were. Pennsylvania. Anyway, looking mm. at Samuel L. Jackson and Stalin Skarsgård and Jamie Renner, saying, "I'm burdened with glorious purpose." It's a, it's a mask already. You know this. I he's already covering. Mm. Uh, he's covering up all that vulnerability, um, and uh, he's come down to Earth to find a place to belong because he doesn't belong anywhere else. And by the time we got to Dark World, I was already thinking about um, how these. Uh, kind of um, these beams of authenticity, like beams of light shining through a mask or a gauze would, would flash in as that scene in Dark World when uh, Thor says no more illusions and, and how he really feels is revealed in the cell. And you see how distressed and grief-stricken he is mm. at the death of his mother. Yeah. But, but yes, you're absolutely right. I'm burdened with glorious purpose. Um, if your life is a lie, if the story of your life is a lie um, and you and perhaps I think in Loki's case, he's destabilized. He doesn't have an anchor. It doesn't have a center and therefore he doesn't have any structure for creating meaning, meaning purpose. This is something you, it's, it's never going to be a, it's an inexhaustible um, mm. mm-hmm. uh, avenue for, for me as a, as a actor and as a, Somebody th- who's thinking about it just to keep scratching away at Loki's sense of purpose. How does he redefine it? How does he rediscover it? How does he reinvigorate it? How can he make his life mean something? When the story he's been given is his life didn't mean anything. It meant so little he was left to mm. die mm. Um, and then only adopted initially as a kind of uh, political idea. Mm. So it's just really rich, it's rich terrain as an actor to be um, to be playing in. It's, and inside this extraordinary, colorful um, opera of the MCU. Mm. It's a, so I feel very fortunate that I've been given all this to, to play with. And we've kept it, I hope you feel in the audience that I've kept pushing the boundary of what that means. Um, so that Loki's, it keeps him very dynamic in a, in a story because he doesn't have any of the answers. Still doesn't quite know how to find, how to derive meaning, how to make his life mean something. Am I Thor's brother? Am I an Odin's son? Mm. Um, I'll try to be in Infinity War. Um, and then in 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 uh, this, the, the, in Loki, obviously he's, the thing he does in Endgame breaks time by picking up the Tesseract and so the TVA confronts him with all of with the shape of his life right so I was born to lose I'll try something else (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know shapeshifter boundary crosser Um, so it's become uh, yeah the the, if you like the essay I've been writing for uh, 14 years has been about Purpose and meaning, um, whether there's any glory in it at all. In fact,
0: is that essay close to being finished? Or is I have it no still idea. <laughs> I have
6: no idea. It's being marked at the moment. It's being marked. <laughs> um, I sent it in, uh, I'm waiting to hear. So, uh, <laughs> Tom, I think you passed.
0: I think you're going to get a passing grade on, on this one. Uh, how many times have you said goodbye to this character? and anyway. actually thought you were saying goodbye to the character
6: well i think twice f- twice properly uh the, we i think it's known now on thor the, in thor the dark world loki uh dies um <laughs> Anyone listening at home, I'm doing inverted commas. <laughs> um, <laughs> around the word dies. Uh, on Svartalfheim, the home of the Dark Elves. Wow. Yeah.
0: By the way, that was amazing. Yeah, round of applause. <laughs> I've never heard it pronounced correctly.
1: Yeah.
6: Amazing. In the original Dark Elf, I presume. <laughs> In the original Dark Elvish, yeah. Um, and... Uh, when we did it for the first time it was a true sacrifice and um, I, thought we were, I thought I wasn't that was it and then it wasn't quite um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because audiences simply didn't believe that it would be that easy to, you know like well surely it's some sort of trick yeah. it's an, and, and uh, Kevin Feige and Louis D'Esposito and everybody at Marvel thought oh dear well we better maybe it is a trick Um <laughs> And it was, lo and behold. Um, and then I was back, and then strangely, but then strangely, the MCU took took a, um, it was a really interesting period for me because that was when I think with, with great confidence and creativity, the MCU was expanding. Yeah. And after Thor The Dark World came, the Guardians of the Galaxy, and, uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier and uh, the first Ant-Man, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then Doctor I could do Stra- a PowerPoint but I won't. Doctor Strange. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This is a test. I'm not sure that I'm passing. You passed with Spartalfheim. Um, <laughs> okay. but uh... yeah, so so it's like Guardians, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. Um, we uh, and then Civil War and and so the MC, the, the focus was Chris and I Hemsworth and I didn't do anything for three years for for Marvel, um, even though I knew from the end of the Dark World. Like, well, if they do, <laughs> they, you know, I'm sitting on that throne. So, in a moustache, wherever we pick up, um, we'll have to pick up where we left off. And then Ragnarok came along and and was terrific and and the perfect new. Jumping off point, a new diving board, a new color palette for the for the the whole world of Asgard and Thor and Loki, um, and then yeah. And in, in the second one was Infinity War. Infinity War was 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 the first scene that uh, Marcus and McFeely and Joe and Anthony Rousseau conceived of of the film. They knew Thanos was the villain, and they thought, how do we? Make it real. How do we make his villainy real and terrifying? It's Loki, because <laughs> uh, of the connection of Thanos and Loki yeah. in Avengers One, um, and that, uh, that that sacrifice was felt very real and moving and uh, and final. Um, so, so that's when I say goodbye. Until. <laughs> um so uh yeah here I st- here I sit uh before you. Well yeah because uh, not to give things away
0: too much for you know people who maybe haven't seen Loki season 2 it's it's great it's on Disney Plus I believe check it out. Uh but there's there's I got a question Mark and also a, a, a period applied to, to Loki, if we're talking in essay terms.
6: Yeah, <laughs> you know? yes.
0: Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it feels like this is a character that you could play again, but equally, if
6: it didn't come yeah. up, he's got a nice, interesting ending. I love where we've landed, and if it always... It felt like it, it, not just a an ending for the for the show is two seasons of two volumes of a, of a novel I suppose but also I, I, the Loki who, who comes to the end of season two is the Loki that I began all those years ago in the first Thor film they're in my mind intimately connected in there that actually there's a, a very um vulnerable soul at the center of Loki that was there in that first film and is still there in season two and there was a lot that was in the way of that being seen or that or or some of that soulfulness being expressed but they're they're totally together so for me it was somewhere I I think I would always wished I could have headed with the character because that's how I built him and it's interesting with if you build a character with depth and dimension. It doesn't matter what story the story is, it doesn't have to be for Marvel, it's in in any film or in any, any story. Inside the character you feel you know, you know him 360 degrees all the way around. And the story chooses how to use the character Mm. The story chooses who the heroes are and who the villains are. So that character that I thought about in that first film is still there in Avengers. But the story, the story decides Loki is the villain. The story is not interested in. Yeah. It, it, rightly, the story is not. In, it's called Avengers. And <laughs> and and so the story is not interested in Loki's interiority or his vulnerability. Mm. The story is interested in how that vulnerability has hardened into a kind of destructive arrogance and um, uh, grievance that makes life really difficult for the Avengers. And so, that's, so, it's, so it's always about the lens. Um, and I feel really fortunate that the lens finally shifted around to looking at it, what life looks like from Loki's perspective. Loki's behind the wheel of those two seasons. Yeah. Um, with, you know, ably assisted by many other Lokis who can, <laughs> who can help him understand, and by Mobius and, uh, and, and B15 and all the, the great and the good of the TVA. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. And they're not so good, of course. And they're not so good. Because no one good is ever truly good, and no one bad is ever truly bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Sonny Birch might beg to differ. But uh, uh, just a real, real quick uh, one last uh, Loki question. Um, what if season two is currently has currently just dropped, uh, and in that, you show up. As Loki, a, yes. different, a different type of Loki. Yes. A very bad Shakespearean actor <laughs> as well, which, which tickled me immensely. Um, uh, the I, apple and, doesn't fall far <laughs> from the tree. <laughs> was that something that you did before Loki season two, or was it a case of, once again, I've hung up the horns, and then the phone rings, okay, Feige, no.
6: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was before, Okay, yeah. But the, I, the joy of those what-if stories is that they're, what if is the ultimate creative question? Um, anyway, what if it was different? What if it was, um, you, you hear it a lot in writer's rooms when people when writers are trying to break story. You, they have a, an idea, something gets set. What if he decided to go out for takeaway? But the takeaway was closed and then there was a bank heist and he got involved in the bank guys. And then that stories begin. And what if is always a, is always a, a great way of, yeah. uh, you know, what if, uh, what if, um, you know, we just talk about it in the dark world all the time. What if Thor needed Loki's help to find the dark Elves? Well, what if Loki wasn't dead? What if Loki wasn't <laughs> dead? All. There you go. So yeah, what if, I suppose, what if Loki was, um, was a Shakespearean actor, um, <laughs> I don't know how they came up with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to Tom, know. were you ad-libbing in the booth? Wait, what?
0: <laughs> um, yeah. When I introduced you, um, and you've done a lot of movies, so it took a long time, but uh, obviously there's the MCU movies, but the, the other films I mentioned as well, The Deep Blue Sea, yeah. Terence Davies, of course, we lost recently, um, High Rise, Crimson Peak, Guillermo del Toro, you know, Ben Wheatley, Jim Jarmusch, Only Lovers Left Alive. You were drawn to really <laughs> great, but also weird directors. Does that, <laughs> does that reflect your own taste?
6: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if... I don't think... I just love variety as as an audience member. Um, I always have. And for as long as I can remember, I've loved... You know, I've never liked it when people categorize high and low art, or high art and high low entertainment. I just think it's all great, if it's great. Um, I'm a discerning viewer, of course. (laughs) Um, But uh, yes, I've always been um, drawn to, you know, I think there's so... I think that's the great secret of life is to live as much of it as you can as fully as you can and my my good fortune is that through working with these directors and playing different parts and sometimes parts in the past soldiers poets yeah. vampires neuro, you know physiologists um, it, it it's exploring aspects of our collective imagination and my own and, and theirs, the, these filmmakers and the co- actors that you work with. And it's just like having another experience or traveling to another country. You know when you go to a different country and, you, and you're like, it's the same, but it's different. Mm-hmm. But it's the same. <laughs> and then you get deeper and it's, and it's actually the same. Yeah, But it is different. And yeah. wait. I'll be honest, Tom, you lost me sometime. If- <laughs> And, and I, it's such a, it sounds like a strange analogy, probably, but, but playing a character is a bit like that feeling of it's different here, yeah. but it's the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I think, I think it all comes from a, 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 a belief in the, the, the ultimate connection we have as human beings. You know it in the audience when you watch a film and you, and you can be empathizing or with a character whose life is completely different from yours but you somehow know how they feel. And from the acting side of it, it's just, it's that. It's wanting to play in territory that is about the experience of being alive, which we all share, birth, family, Mm. Mortality, dreams, hopes, aspirations, heartbreak, loss, grief, um, overcoming obstacles, failing, or, or failure all these things we experience um, they are that's the stuff of life. And, um, and playing different characters who, who experience different aspects or different iterations of those things is the, joy, the joy for me.
0: Well, the last question is that uh, you recently worked with Mike Flanagan? Yes. On the, yes, on the, <laughs> yes. yes. That was a question, on, that, on. Was it. <laughs>
6: that was it.
0: <laughs> you recently worked with Mike Flanagan? <laughs> yes. yes. Tom Hiddleston, everybody. Um, <laughs> on the, uh, I was gonna say Good Luck Chuck, but that's a, a Dane Cook movie, I believe. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's a remake of that, The, the Life of Chuck. And now this is hmm. uh, based on Stephen King, not, the man, but one of his works. And I'm yeah. hugely excited about this. Mm. Uh, I know you can't say anything, because you're doing that. I can't say anything for
1: yeah.
0: But what was it like? Uh, start at the beginning, and then tell us how the film ends. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
6: yeah, so it's based on a short story by Stephen King, which was only published, I think, in 2020, very recent. Um, uh,
0: <laughs> this is his marvel experience kicking it yes, in. It's yeah. like what can I say? Hang at this point?
6: on. Um Mike Mike Flanagan is a great scholar of Stephen King. He is. And so that felt very exciting.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot, yeah. but we're here now.
6: <laughs> I loved the script. Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved the experience. Um, it, 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 it plays on, um, what, Stephen King is a, obviously a very bright man. And mm. uh, there's something, there is something it, it, almost in what I've been saying about the pleasure I take in, in, uh, in the work of being an actor, mm. which is sort of, you try to get closer to um, the, the deeper, well, at least I try to, without getting too highfalutin and pretentious, but you try to get close to these experiences in our lives which connect us and unite us. And there are elements of Stephen King's stories which are, which are, um, I think of that quote from the Shawshank Redemption. Get busy living, get busy dying. Mm. There's extraordinary wisdom in that. At least, yeah, I think so. Mm. And, well, I remember watching that film as a young man, you're a boy, um, and and, uh, couldn't articulate why that landed with me so profoundly. Because, how would, I, how would I know that at, at a young age? But it seemed to, uh, it's, it's that, I think it's that. About making that choice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that, um, it's called the life of Chuck. So there is a little, there's an element of an exploration of, of life, of what it means to be alive. And, uh, in all of its complexity and, contradiction, and Surprise, um, and uh, there's something i when I read the script, I th- there was something incredibly vital. Um, and I suppose I choose that word carefully because it comes from I think the Latin for life, you know, mm-hmm. something very vital in the story, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so expect some life. <laughs> <laughs> It's a same, explicit. but different. <laughs> <laughs> same, different. Um, yeah, and and it's surprising, and um, the way the way he plays with narrative um, is, is is something I found very. It's exciting. It's almost similar to um, we, you know, lives. Our lives are linear. we we're, we're born and we live and we die. But I don't think we experience it like that as human beings at least i who are constantly replaying things from mm-hmm. the past anticipating things in the future um, and 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 reorganizing our sense of the past so that we can catch up and make better sense of our future so i don't think our experience of life is linear absolutely uh, well the some non-linear
0: life <laughs> The line from Shawshank that I'm thinking of is, but seriously, how often do you really look at a man's shoes? Uh, I'm looking at Tom's right now. They're very, very cool
6: indeed. <laughs> I like Yours them. are great. They've got different stripes on them.
0: Well, Tom, thank you for bringing this to everyone's attention. These are actually Stark Expo Adidas. <laughs> uh, limited edition. Limited edition. Uh, thank you very much indeed. I paid 100 pounds for these. <laughs> Dear God in heaven.
6: Uh, anyway on that note it I'm sorry not not to be more forthcoming about the life of Chuck no
0: no no you were very forthcoming uh, including the ending which I (laughs) enjoyed Uh, but anyway on that note it is time to return Tom to his Saturday night so he can watch Michael McIntyre and match the day back to back Uh, will you please give it up for the incredible Tom Hiddleston everybody thank you Welcome to interview our next guest, the incredible Beth Webb! I'm, I've got to do the intro first, Beth. <laughs> Beth sees microphone, wants microphone. Give me a microphone! But I have to, I have to do the big build-up first. Uh, all right. <clears throat> next up, we have someone you're going to be hearing a lot about in the coming years. She is simply incredible in the lead role of Molly Manning Walker's debut film, How to Have Sex, which is available soon on DVD, Blu-ray, digital, all the good stuff. Uh, And this week, she was nominated for the EE Rising Star Award at this year's BAFTAs. Will you please welcome the wonderful Mia
1: McKenna-Bruce!
7: Thank you. Can we have another cheer for the EE e. Rising Star nominee, <laughs> <Bruce> Miam <Smith? laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Hiya. Hi. <laughs> Hi. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, where to begin? Where to begin with the year that you have had?
8: Just mental.
7: <sighs> I mean, aside from being here this evening in front of these good, wonderful people. Of all the pinch-me moments you've had this year, and there have been many, there have been world premieres, there have been festivals, there have been prizes. There have been celebrities, there have been everything. What what has been your biggest pinch-me moment?
8: The biggest pinch-me moment, I think, was definitely um, when we first showed the film at Cannes, and we got a really overwhelming eight minute standing ovation and it was just the most out of body experience I think I've ever had. Yeah. Um, There was a moment where me and the director writer Molly kind of crying after the film obviously. I was also very pregnant so hormones Um, and then uh, someone from the crew said turn around and look up and we just looked up and everyone was on their feet crying with us which was just like, once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, I think, yeah, to experience.
7: that feel totally unexpected to you?
8: Yeah, literally. It was just, like, even to this day, I think about it, and it, like, gives me goosebumps.
7: I've asked you to tell this story before, but it is literally one of my favourite celebrity encounter stories of all time. <laughs> Can I you know what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me who you met later that day or later in the festival? Yes, I met the one and only Robert De
8: Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro. Um, I know, I know. Um, at a party. Um, again, I was very pregnant in very high heels because I'm quite small. So trying to, you know, keep up with everyone. Um, and so I was just trying to sit down and in that process came across the one and only Robert De Niro. And he was quite shocked to see that I was very pregnant. I look very young for my age. So he was like, how old are you? (laughs) And I was like, well, how old are you?
7: (laughs) (laughs) Just had a baby, (laughs) (laughs) just like Sharon, parenting tips, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go, (laughs) I love it so much. Um, so diving back, I want to talk a bit more about the film. So, uh, this is about Tara, who you you play a 16 year old, having a very formative experience, her first big holiday. In Malia, I believe the technical term is Ua Malia. Is that, that is the, mean, technical yeah. term, yes. the technical term? Yes, the technical term Ua Malia. Ua Malia. <laughs> um, tell me about shooting this film. So you guys went out on the kind of end of big rowdy season. Season. Yes. Yeah, so we went out to Malia um, mid
8: September kind of time. Mm. So it was like most of the holiday makers were leaving. Um, I say most. There were still some. <laughs> Hardcore party goers there, um, and we stayed there until November. Um, and by the time we left, it was like a ghost town. It was literally just us there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was hard to even go to the shop and get water by that point. Everywhere shut, like shut shop. Um, so yeah, it was like it was really weird because by the time we left, it felt like it was just our our place, um, our little bubble that we had made. Yeah, yeah.
7: And then you had these. So it really is like you, you went straight into battle, it had these incredible immersive sets. You had fish bowls and yeah. oh, like greasy cheesy chips and yeah, sticky floors, yeah, all of it. People dancing on tables, like, yeah. And you guys could just so, so the whole point was it was an immersive set, so you guys could move really freely in and out of that, which you, you don't get in a lot of sets. What
8: yeah, was like? it was amazing for us. I mean. Molly has referred to it as a 360 set, which I therefore guess is the technical term. I don't know. but So um, everything kind of on the set was free for us to use um, because the whole shoot was pretty free flow. Um, So all the drawers in the apartment and stuff like that were filled with what they would be filled with. There was kind of like half-eaten noodles in the sink stuff like that that kind of you would actually see on these holidays so we were able to just kind of throw ourselves into it I mean there's a scene where us girls first discover this room that we're staying in and we act as if obviously it's the best thing in the world yeah. that we've ever seen and that was when we shot it, it was actually the first time we had gone into that room so we just had to run around and get very excited by things that probably weren't that excitable
7: but it's a diary. It's a diary. Yeah. I mean, did you go on holidays like, yourself when you were that age? Yeah. So I think I was. I was a bit older. I think I went on my first holiday when I was
8: eighteen, um, and I went to Ibiza, thinking I was being bougie. <laughs> but a lot of people don't know there is actually like the strip on Ibiza as well. Yeah. That's not just the super clubs. So we just did that. So you could have been. We could have been anywhere in the world. Um, but yeah, we thought we were bougie in Ibiza, <laughs>
7: and yeah, it was just which definitely translates into the film um something i've loved seeing so the film came out theatrically it's now also available to stream on movie and it came out kind of end of december and what i've really loved seeing is because it is a very authentic portrayal of uh tara and and teen girls go abroad it's very nuanced and something i've really loved seeing is people kind of sharing accounts of watching it with older relatives younger relatives Mm -hmm. mates And it generating a real conversation about things like consent, about relationships, about what it's actually like to be a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And you really see that needle shifting in terms of those conversations. What is that like to be a part of? To be a part of a film like that that has generated these conversations that seems to be making a really important point and it's landing with people. Mm -hmm. What is that like for you?
8: Yeah, it's crazy because I think when I first read the script... I really wanted to do it because I have two younger sisters. um, And I was like, I really want them to watch a film like this. Mm how do I make them watch a film like this? Try and be in it. Um, so I like literally from the minute I've read it, I was like, I want, I want to talk about it with people. And um, I probably shouldn't have done before it was out and everything, but I was having those conversations very early on with friends of mine and um, family and stuff like that because it's giving people this in to have those awkward conversations mm. around sex, you know? Mm. Um, and it is obviously, it's a big responsibility talking about talking about these things, like consent, but it's amazing to see, particularly, we've done quite a few um, Q&As. Uh, we did one in Rome with, I think it was about 20 kind of young people, ages like 16 to 18, yes. um, and it was me and our, direct, our director, Molly, and they watched the film, and then we did a Q&A with them after, and me and Molly just sat back and let them... Debate it out themselves, oh, wow. which was just amazing to yeah. kind of see that we don't even actually have to say anything. The film does the talking, yeah, um, and they were kind of yeah having these discussions. Discussions that I. I, at 16, definitely would not have had the kind of tools to be able to have those conversations. Right. So if th- this film can kind of enable that, then that's, yeah, incredible to be a part of, for sure.
7: It's huge. And your sisters have
8: seen the film now? Yes, they have. They came to one of the screenings, um, and they, yeah, loved it. Went with their mates after as well, which is brilliant, because that's what, that's what we can ask for, really. Is all
7: you can hope for, yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk a bit more about your journey into acting, because this is your your massive, this is your massive role but <laughs> you have been working for ages <laughs> yeah. and uh, I wanted to talk about a phone call you got when you were six years old Yeah, from and I, I'll use the quote go on uh, Titanic and Avatar director James Cameron called you on the phone when you were six years old yeah look at everyone <laughs> Ooh. so you were six and you were past the phone and it was it was James Cameron I thought
8: <laughs> it was James Cameron <laughs> and there's me cue me thinking I'm going to be fine in this industry I've got James Cameron on side <laughs> um it was my granddad. <laughs> uh, it was my granddad, who is a gorgeous Scottish man trying to be James Cameron. Very lucky that six-year-old Mia had no idea, so it just completely went over my head. But um, basically, I was I watched Titanic, and I was traumatised. Cried for a really, really long time. (laughs) And my mum was like, oh my God, how do we get her to stop crying? Um so she got my granddad to pretend to be James Cameron, the director, (laughs) and explained to me it was a film. (laughs) And there were actors and costume and like none of my family have any idea about the industry, so he was pretty much making it up as he went (laughs) along anyway. Um but then I was like, oh my god, like you can do that as a job, you can make people cry (laughs) Um, you can yeah you get to kind of play for a living and then that was when I realized at six years old um yeah I want to kind of do do that if I can
7: that's a huge moment yeah really huge (laughs)
8: but then I became so I was like okay how do I go about this And became obsessed with Shirley Temple. I think my dad had showed me this documentary at that point. So I was like, I want to be an actor. Um, So they were like, yeah, who's a young actor? Shirley Temple. So they made me watch this, not made me. They showed me this documentary. And I'd watch it every day after school. And I had like this little notebook, making notes all these really deep notes about acting, such as, she's American, must speak with American accent. (laughs) Um, Curly hair, and it said in the the documentary she had exactly 52 curls in her hair. Cue me, with no curlers, tie in 52 (laughs) socks. (laughs) In my hair every night to go to sleep. <laughs> my hair in the morning was like this. <laughs> I'm going to school like this is what it takes to be an actor. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that went on for for a while. Um, and somehow we wangled. Wangled getting in there. Mm. But, yeah, that's where it kind of started.
7: Something I've loved about um, you being nominated for the... Um, ee e. rising star votes are open i'm not influencing i'm just stating facts that votes are open to the public <laughs> for this uh, <laughs> prize do without what you will um but it's been just lovely seeing this kind of outpouring of love for your childhood work on tv shows yeah. Like, yeah. Tracy beaker, like
8: yeah yeah so i worked on um a show called tracy beaker returns and the dumping ground from when I was 10 to when I was 18 yeah. so 8 years in total and it was a really important show to a lot of people my my age at the time um, it was about children in care and so since the announcement with for the EE Rising Star Award um, I think there was a comment that it, oh it's a breakthrough and there's been a lot of comments like have some respect for Tracy Beaker. <laughs> like she's been, she's been doing Tracy Beaker since she was ten years old. So yeah, it's cool to kind of see that have a resurgence, definitely. I mean, I still look exactly the same as well. So.
7: <laughs> Haven't aged. And yet, and yet, this year has just been. I don't know. I mean, you said it's it's just been like really overwhelming and and wild. But I mean, how has it felt to walk like? A red carpet, a can, to me, what would it
8: be? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm still figuring it out. It feels like a blur. But also, I'm really lucky because at the moment, I have a gorgeous baby, and I'm kind of doing mum life, and this kind of crazy dream world life. So it means I can keep kind of checking in, and kind of going, wow, this this is actually happening, and trying my hardest not to take any of it for granted. Um... Because I'm also, you know, doing all the... (laughs) Cleaning up the sick and all of that in between. (laughs) So it's kind of like, yeah, getting to do all this at at the same time is just absolutely... I couldn't have dreamt it up if I tried, for sure.
7: Oh, I love that. And where would you like to go next? What kind of uh, aspirations now that this kind of world has opened up in the way that it has in the last year?
8: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think to just... I love love acting. I love it so much. Um, So just to keep working i hope and keep off the back of how to have sex telling stories that people that stay with people and people want to talk about because i also this is a side of it that i didn't realize i would love so much getting to talk about the work and getting to talk about um why these stories matter so i'd love to kind of yeah get to do more things that mean i can do more more of that as well i think yeah
7: And what's your collaboration? So Molly Manning-Walker, this is her first film as well. Although she's an amazing cinematographer. If you guys saw Scrapper, she was the cinematographer on that. Yeah. Uh, Another great film. Um, But this is her directorial debut, coming from an incredibly personal place as well. Yeah. So ultimately there was going to be a bond here. What has that collaboration with Molly taught you? Um, It's taught me what magic
8: can be created when you all actually do come together and kind of strive for the same thing. I think we all went into this film knowing it was really important, knowing it was important to a lot of people, um, and kind of there wasn't a single day that anyone turned up on set and was like, oh, here we go, another day. (laughs) Like, we were all turning up each day ready to give it 110%. um, Every single person, cast and crew... And, yeah, we were we were a proper, proper unit the whole way through. Yeah. Um, and it really felt like we were all in it together. And it's been like that afterwards as well, yeah. which is one of the first experiences that I've had of kind of getting to work on a project and then the aftermath, us all getting to do it together as well. It's like we went to Cannes and all the crew came that could come as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of... We're, we're all on this journey together and that makes it even more special.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to... Oh, I'm getting a... Uh a little swizzle from Chris, whatever that <laughs> means. Um, I mean, I just wanted to end by talking about this cast that you had. So it was a young cast, some a little bit further along, some not, but I just feel like the experience that you've had together, seeing you, honestly, if you've got a second to Google the red carpet of this film at hand, everyone's <laughs> dancing, everyone's, ooh, Amalia was like the mantra for yeah, this film, yeah, like collectively. Yeah. Tell me about going into the trenches with this Beautiful cast, and I mean, I mean, hopefully you continue.
8: Yeah, to oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we are, as cliche as it is, we are literally a family at this point. You know, um, kind of. We started the process, and we all clicked straight away. But then it was like, then we got to know each other. So it was like, we have a deep, deep love for each other, and we all come from very different backgrounds, yeah. and we all just want to have a good and not not take any of it for granted so in Cannes for example when we were on that red carpet it was like we don't know if we're going to get to do this again and this is something we've all dreamt of so let's just absolutely go out there and have a great time so why not (laughs) dance down the red carpet um and it's just that it's every step of the way we've just been wanting to make the most of all of it on our way to I think it was our London premiere we all jumped in a cab together, even though our publicists were kind of like, come on, you, like each of you in your separate cabs. And it was like, no, no, we all want to go together. And we all jump in together, kind of held hands, and were like, we've done this. Like, yeah. somehow we've we've done this. And who would have thought this time last year when we were running along the strip in Malia that, that we'd be here now? So, yeah, it's just been about making the most of, of all of it.
7: Oh, wonderful. Just a final question, and I am betraying your trust here by saying this, but you did say, so... Mia won Best Lead Performance at the Biffers uh, in December, which in itself is just wonderful. You did say that you went home and got McDonald's that night. If you win the EE after Rising Star, are you going to get McDonald's? 100%. I'll get McDonald's tonight. I get McDonald's all the time. Oh, my gosh. Can we have, like, a massive round of applause for Mia? Thank you. (laughs)
0: Me and McKenna Bruce, everybody! And of course, Beth Webb! And New Water! Why did New Water get the biggest cheer? <laughs> very, very strange indeed. To interview our final guest this evening, will you please welcome Alex Godfrey?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alex Godfrey! <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New water. <laughs> Alex Godfrey. <laughs> it's hard to tell which is more popular, Alex. Oh God, they've already done it for you. It's open. It's open. Okay. You drink it. <laughs> having to explain how to drink water to someone. Ah, <laughs> uh, dearie me. Anyway, all right. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Our final guest this evening is a goddamn acting legend. In one of his very first roles, he declared, I'm the daddy now. And he spent, oh yeah. (laughs) Some people immediately go, oh, it's him now, I like him. Uh, And he spent the next four and a half decades confirming that he can soon be seen in both the gentleman the TV show expansion of the Guy Ritchie movie, and Netflix's damsel opposite Millie Bobby Brown. And of course, he could be seen right here on the Empire Podcast stage. Will you please go absolutely nuts for the star of Scum, Sexy Beast, Nil by Mouth, The Departed, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Black Widow, The Gentleman, And Damsel, the great, the one, the only Ray Winston.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
9: All right. This is a can of water. I've just been shown out to you. Well, that
2: ain't no good to me, is it?
9: Uh, What are you going to do? Um, Good to see you, Ray. You were... Good to be here in Glamorous King's Cross. You were a London boy once.
2: I still am a London boy. Uh, Once a London boy. Always a London boy. These trousers are very tight, you know. (laughs) I told my Undo wife them. bought me these. It's ridiculous.
9: They look magnificent, though,
2: right? Thank you. Um,
9: yeah, King's Cross has changed over the years, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it has, it has changed. Yeah. Did, did you oh, I around think the QC point? got Nick round the corner, here, didn't he? Right. Many years ago. Yeah. Anyway, it's another story.
9: <laughs> uh, Chris just mentioned you, you are the star of Damsel, which is uh, for people who don't know, it's a new dragon epic with Stranger Things as Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, w- we haven't seen it. We've seen a trailer. Have you seen the trailer, people? Um, you play a lord, I believe. I play Millie's
2: Dad, yeah. Who's, uh, who started off as a king and then they changed him to a baron, I suppose, once they heard my accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they saw Henry VIII and they thought, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Uh, uh, so I'm not the star of the show. Millie's the star. I mean, Millie carries the film. You know, I haven't seen the film yet, but but I'm told it's very good, and she's a wonderful actress. You know.
9: What was your experience? Have you had you seen Stranger Things before working on it? Yeah.
2: I, I, no. Before working, before I hadn't seen it. Oh, so you and, you sorted it no, up? Well, yeah. I, and then I had a look, and uh, my my kids told me to watch it. You know because I couldn't work the Netflix thing, you know, all that Wi-Fi and all that, it just does my head in. I'm getting on a bit now. So uh, I was in Portugal, and we started to watch it, me and Joe, who works with me, and uh, we started to watch him, it. and it's kind of strange. It is strange stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, um, Clues in the title. Then, right? Yeah, but then you realise, you know, you're working with this kid. I'd already done a few scenes with her, and you just kind of realise that she is something very special, you know. You
9: were saying, we were talking about... Before, um, backstage about it, you said you were very involved creatively in the development, or you were talking to the director quite...
2: With my character, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, on some films you can turn up and not feel part of the process of making a film, you know? Um, it's funny, with the two Netflix jobs that I've done, I've found that to be the case is that you are... You know, you have an input. You know, and and we sit. I sit down with uh, Juan Carlos, the director, who's who's a wonderful guy, and we met in a, a little cafe at the back of Euston, out in North London, and I think the film's, I hope, is all the better for it. You know,
9: how has that sort of collaboration, sort of scoped out over the the breadth of your career? Is it how often is it the case where you get to be involved like that rather than just turning up and
2: with the good directors it's always the case. You're part of the process, you know. Um, I'm not saying it's happened to me a lot. It hasn't, you know. Uh, you make mistakes yourself. Uh, and sometimes your decisions are not always the best decisions, you know. Um, but it's not for the one to try, you know. Well, you've got... Um, there's another thing that's coming out soon,
9: which you're not in, but I want to talk to you about. There is a... <laughs> Wait for it. What's the point? It makes sense. No, well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and nothing whatsoever to do with you. I just wanted to. No, um, there is a prequel TV series to Sexy Beast coming out. Yeah. Um, It's set, I believe, around 10 years before the film. Sexy Beast, by the way, everybody. (laughs) Um, So there's a a, a young-ish actor, James McArdle, playing, well, not you as such, but a young gal or younger. Um, what were your thoughts when you heard this was happening? Was it weird to think that someone's going to be playing a young version of you?
2: Uh, yeah, in, in a way, because it's, it's the writing of Sexy Beast that was so good. Um, mm. If there's one film where I've never changed a line in a film, it was that film. If you missed out, when you had a speech in Sexy Beast, and the same was goes for 44 inch chest, mm the same writer's wrote there, if you kind of missed out an if, or you try to, I don't know, go down a different alley with it, it it, it doesn't work. It's almost like modern Shakespeare in a way. And I, I found with Sexy Beast that when you was actually playing the part, you didn't really have to act. You just had to say the words. And... The emotions come with the words. Uh, it's so well written, you know. It really is. It's a blessing for an actor to get something like that, you know. Have you seen anything of this show? No, I've seen. I've seen the trailer, what, what? And, I, and I know. I know uh, a few of the guys, and Stephen, who plays um, Ian McShane's role. Yeah, and he was telling me all about it as well. And yeah, why not? It was fantastic, and I know David, one of the writers, has had a bit to do with it. Yeah. So that kind of put me at ease a little bit because. He knows the ins and outs of the writing, and hopefully it looks really good. I've got to say, you know.
9: Has it happened before that you've that someone's played a young version of a character?
2: Yeah, in uh, in uh, what was it? What was, it, what, was it, what was the film with Michael Caine and uh, Tom Tom we We done Wars. Last Orders, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a young guy played me very well. He played me better than me, actually.
9: Right. <laughs> I spoke to James McArdle for the magazine about this new show, and he yeah. said, um, Well, first of all, he said you sent him a lovely text giving him your blessing. Yeah, of course, yeah, absolutely. Well, not everyone would have done that.
2: I'm not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
9: mm-hmm. yeah. He said, He told me something interesting. He said, Obviously, he rewatched the film, which he'd already loved, but he rewatched it beforehand. And there's one line he he focused on to try and get a sense of what he could do in terms of playing a younger gal. It's the scene... um, I guess it's about 20 minutes into the film and you and your friends and family hear that Don Logan is sniffing around. Mm -hmm. Ben Kingsley's Don Logan. Um, And you, um, for lack of a better phrase, shit yourself. (laughs) So you're sitting there in this restaurant you get the news, you look, you're frozen in terror, and you go, what are you having? I'm having a calamari, right? That wasn't supposed to be an impression, by the way, did <laughs> And um, he said, so James said to me, there was something about that line and that bit of performance that was a way in to what he wanted to do with Carol. What do you think it, it's, it's a strange line to sort of be fixated on and to, to be talking about 25 years later, you're just talking about calamari. But it opened a door for him. What What do you think of like that specific bit? And what are your memories of doing that bit?
2: I'm going to say the. I have to say the obvious, and it's probably what every actor would say. You have to play the truth, you know. Uh, there's times in your life where we, we, you know we're lucky as people, human beings, especially now. I'm 66 years of age. I can I can look back on different moments in my life and say, and, and remember a feeling, an emotion. Sometimes through music, sometimes you just a smell when you walk in a room. But the, the kind of a fear of something that's pending, you know, is... But you put on a face because there's people there. So to be an actor, I think you've got to be a good liar, you know? Uh, it's like the scene sitting in the Dorchester with... Um, with uh, Ian McShane, and he comes in, you know, and Don's gone missing, Don's dead, he's at the bottom of the pool. Yeah, you, know. you killed him? Yeah, uh, well, that's debatable. OK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my wife actually did it. That's true, yeah. But, you know, I think Dee Dee probably was the more spiteful out of the two of us. But anyway, it's, it's that kind of thing of... How do you how do you act when you're trying to add something? You You try your best to tell the truth or you try best to look like you're telling the truth, like I am now. And, and you know, what would you do? Do you show fear? No, you look someone in the eyes and, and you tell them the truth, you know. So it's, it's a, a process of acting without being seen that you're acting. And sometimes people go, well, he's not acting, that's him, isn't it? You know, but sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. And that's the thing, it either works or it doesn't. I'm, I'm going around the houses a little bit here, but... But sometimes you can't pull it off. Mm. It it doesn't work. And it depends on the genre you're doing. And it took me a long while to actually understand that going from films like Scum and Kneel by Mouth that that are about people and it's about social events in our lives and things that happen to other people. And then you'll go and do a different film, it's a different genre completely, but you're still acting in the way that you did in those honest productions, you know, about people, so you have to learn there's a, there's a change, but as Clark he always said, Alan Clark, who'd done Scum, he said, just tell the truth. If you tell the truth when you're acting, if, if you believe it, then hopefully everyone else is. I'm a, I, I'm not a great believer in the camera always tells the truth, because it don't, it lies. The camera lies, believe me. right? I, it, I'm not blaming myself for this, I'm blaming the camera, right? But <laughs> You know, they always say, no, the camera, it, you know, it never lies. But it does because you, uh, on set sometimes it, it, there's a lack of communication between the actor and maybe the um, the director and maybe the lighting cameraman because they they don't have time to tell you what they want from that shot. You have to work it out for yourself. Sometimes you just need to st- sit still and the camera does it for you, you know. But it's just... Understanding the game you're in and trying to learn it, and there's still a lot for me to learn. I, I promise
9: you. <laughs> you know? it's amazing you can invest everything that you just said into a line about calamari.
2: <laughs> but that's what it is. Yeah. You know, it's it's being honest. You know, fuck it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know uh, this guy's coming. He's going to kill me. You know, he, he's going to kill us all. I don't need him at the time. So this us have something to eat and a drink. Right. You know. <laughs> It's
9: um, it's something I read recently, which I've, I was surprised to hear that you'd done. Neil by Mouth was two or three years before Sexy Beast, I think. Beast, I think. Yeah, right? Th- yeah. So I I read that you s- said you thought that up until Neil by Mouth, you hadn't taken your career seriously before, and it 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 took that film to make you think about it a different way. Why why was that? What do you
2: mean? I found fa- it's a kind of inverted snobbery. I think with you know uh, it's almost without Saturday night Sunday morning without um, this sporting life without you know the directors that came in like John Osborne writing these plays kitchen sink dramas back in the 60s um, then there wouldn't have been a a job for me. There, were, you know, I could. I went to the pictures every Wednesday with my dad, and you know, that was my fantasy. That you know, watching Zulu and you know, Out of the West was one, and and all these films. You can never believe that you'd be in a film like that. And and then I went to drama school, and and at drama school, you know, I got nil in a lambda exam. You know, and it, I didn't even get a point for imagination. You know, and you, there's two things can happen there. You can either go right, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here, or you can say fuck you. You know, I, I've got a way I want to do things, and you don't quite know what they are. So that pushes you on. And for me, I forgot the question. I was rambling so much. What was it? What was the question? Uh, you forgot too, didn't you? Did you remember the question? Yeah. yeah. But any, you know, it's that kind of. I just found in the game that I, I, I wasn't part of it that I came from a very strange planet somewhere where everyone was a bit chappy and a bit lovey and a bit, hello. And, you know, but that, that was my problem. That, that wasn't true, you see. That was my problem more than it was anyone else's. And I had to get over that, really. But
9: what was it about Neil My Mouth and working with Gary
2: Oldman as a director that changed everything? Uh, changed? Having someone doing? who understood you as an actor. Because he um, was such a good actor himself. Yeah, and do you know what? Great actors do become great directors. Uh, it's the pony ones that are real shit. You know? <laughs> uh, and there's a, there's a few of them about. you know. Um, working, working with Gary Oldman was, yeah, it was, you know, he'd sit there and he'd say, Raymond, because he spoke a little bit like that, Gary, South London boy. He'd, go, he'd say, Raymond, I can see you acting. And you can imagine what I was saying under my breath at the same time. But he was right, you know, he, was, he came from the same school in a way. He came from the Alan Clark, you know, the Les Blairs, uh, you know. The, the, it, it was a different time. And we were lucky enough to have those men there who, who took an interest in actually teaching us while we were actually filming and on the job, you know. Tim Spo, another one, you know, who came out that same sort of area. I think he's a, a wonderful actor, you know. I can't imagine anyone had said that
9: on set to you before. I can see you acting, or had they?
2: Yeah, oh, uh, you know, uh, my my agent's mum came to see me doing. Uh, uh, I loved her; she was great. <laughs> she came to see me when I was done. It was Henry the eighth, and I was I got all the gear on and all that, And she watched the scene and and everything. And I came back, and I remember with the catering bus was an old red bus, you know. And I got on, I got all the gear on, and and she said, "Hello, Raymond." And I said, Oh are you, mum? How are you?" She said. How are you gonna play him like that? <laughs> and that is a kick in the nuts, you know. We well, are yeah.
9: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your response to that? Well
2: I what can I do? <laughs>
9: yeah. Um you you said um I'll move on a second from nail by mouth, but you, you also said Gary was the best I mean look, this was twenty five Something years ago now, but yeah. um, you said he was the best director you'd ever worked with. For me, yeah, is that still the case? Uh, for no me, offense yeah, to uh, yeah, any, I, th- I else. think
2: so. For me, I mean, to where we went on that film, we went, we mm-hmm. went deep, and you know, I'm not from there. I'm not from that life. Right, yeah. I come from the east end of London, but I had a great family. You know, we had. A, we had everything we wanted when we were kids. You know, mum and dad were workers, and and if there was any problems, we never knew about it. You know, it, I had a I came from a different world because you come from the east end or south London. That doesn't mean to say you come from by Mouth territory. That's a different world, and so for me to to get into that through Gary and through what he knows and where he's from, um, yeah, um, and f- for somebody. To let you go and play a role how you saw it, with help as well, you know, um, was quite incredible because it's the first time I was l- kind of let off the lead a little bit, you know. I mean, you're very much
9: let off the lead in that film. You, you, I mean, you—it's absolutely terrifying what you do in that film on on many levels. You also had to channel something extremely dark to get to that, yeah. or it looks like it at least.
2: Yeah, it's funny because it makes you think. Um, You know, I'd done a film called Warzone. Yeah, Tim Roth's film. Yeah, and I'd done um, a nil-by-mouth, and then uh, doing Warzone really hurt. I mean, because of the rape scene, because of a Paedophile, and and all the shit that went with that. Um, I felt really like, fucking, there was times that I just wanted to go, wanted to get out of there, you know, and... uh, and then when we were making... Before that, when we was making Neil by Mouth, you know, the the, the violence towards Kathy and that was yeah. just an acting job, you know. It was, we were doing it, we were doing it. She's a great actress. You know, we were under control. We knew what we were doing and everything. But it never uh, hurt me. It never hurt me like the, the Warzone did. And I had to kind of revisit that in a way because I had to question myself a little bit about... You know, the violence between uh, towards a woman and the violence tw- towards a young girl. Uh, and it it, it it troubled me for a while why I felt stronger about one than the other. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. And so it kind of made me think about it and it, and it was a good thing because I don't know, it educated me in a different way, you know? Was there a... It made me grow up a little bit, you know, and, and uh, not not from an, an acting point of view, but from being a man, really, you know.
9: And that was a good thing. But I mean, you talk about it as if it was quite troubling. Was there a part of you that thought, I don't, I better lay off this uh, film uh, Yeah, material"?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Because the first part of the film, Warzone, is really a dad being a dad, and you see him at home, and you see him talking to his kids, telling them stories and all that. And and I actually did say when I, when I went for the interview, it'd be good to play the good guy. Yeah, because that no, and I mean that in the way of we don't know who these people are. You know, it's the guy who, who lives on the corner. You know, has the corner shop or has the pub, or, you know, or you talk to him in the street, you don't know who these people are. So, you when you watch the film, you don't know who this guy is until one thing happens, and then after that event, you have you have different thoughts about the guy, and then you got to question yourself. It's not Saturday night with a pizza. It just ain't that, you know. So. Uh, yeah, and that was, yeah. And that, all that kind of knowledge came from working with Gary, really, you know, of how to actually actually present something, you know, a story yeah. a story that's kind of reality in a way, you know. Well, we're nearly out of time. There's one more
9: thing I want to ask you about. You've also got coming up, which you are in, yeah. um, the TV series of Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. Yeah. Um, the trailer came out recently. Oh, yeah. There's a minute, a minute and a half of a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people in it, and then there's a little sting at the end where we see the back of someone who turns around, it's you, and that's it. It's like, you've seen a trailer, here's a secret weapon, Ray Winston's in it. Um, it's obviously keying into your presence and your legacy. You've got no lines in it, you just turn around, and that's enough. Um, have your paths, you and Guy Rich have your paths crossed before?
2: Yeah, I nearly done Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh right, uh, and we had a little fallout. Uh-oh. Me and Guy. Then okay. we were young fellas, you know, and uh, and uh, yeah, so we never spoke to one another for a little while. And, 25, uh, Twenty-five years. Yeah, well, that, that's about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and you know, we grow. You grow up, don't you? And it's business, you know. <laughs> it's just business guy rich it's busy and get i gotta say it. I, I really i did enjoy it I, I, I really enjoyed the job and and working and just playing you know and he's got a certain style yeah the guy's got he's got a certain style of way. you know what you're gonna get and you're going on a ride you know so it, it, it was kind of funny because when our eyes first when we our first went and our eyes met all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, and then we, we had a little cuddle up, as you do in the theater and in films. They have a little cuddle, you know I like that, and uh you know, and you're tripping <laughs> one and and so you have your little cuddle up, and it's all all right, and you know you you're older men now, you know, and it's it's fine and i I enjoyed every moment of it. it was great fun.
9: Well I'm glad to hear it And I just, I just love the way That you were utilised At the end of the trailer It's just like Here he is National treasure Ray Winston I think it's testament To who you are And, and the work you've done um, So thanks a lot For uh, coming here tonight And being Pleasure. so entertaining As usual
2: Oh and happy anniversary Isn't it 600 is the Thank biggest? you very much very 600 you, Yeah, yeah.
9: Alright Alright Ray Winston Ladies and gentlemen Thank you
2: Thank you very much Safe journey
0: I love that man. Okay, so now it's time for you guys to ask us questions. Yes, please, right here. Thank you, about six rows back. The hand in the air. Glasses on the face. Yes, please. Hiya, so my question is about awkward movie dates. So I once inadvertently took a date to see Old Boy without knowing the ending. (laughs) So Did I'm this wondering. person then turn out to be your long-lost daughter? Because that would have been really, <laughs> really awkward. Way, but, um, I was just wondering if
9: you guys have had any similar experiences with that. <laughs> Awkward um, dates.
3: I think you overestimate how many dates we probably go on. Um, but I will say, I, I, rem- I have a very distinct memory of coming out of the press screening of Shame, hmm. uh, and another film journalist kept talking, uh, turning to me and going, that would be the worst date movie of all time. And I think that was right. I've never I, come across a I, worse one.
0: I think the Steve McQueen anti-romance box set would be absolutely incredible. She said, I don't watch Shame. It's about a man starving to death. They're brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you know hunger, under, that uh, hunger, hunger, hunger hunger not, yeah. not hunger. Yeah. I shame say, shame shame shame's a different type of starving to death if you know what I mean <laughs> but um, yeah and also you don't and I'm speaking here as a as a gentleman uh, you don't want to be infighting the lady or man uh, that you were trying to uh, woo and 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 infight comparison with Michael Fassbender <laughs> in a certain area if you know what I mean no, you don't Chris want to be doing that. Line. It it creates expectation when he whips out the tripod. It just it's <laughs> it's not it's not great
3: he's talking about his penis right his
4: penis. i see <laughs> sorry thank you for explaining yeah um no i was actually i was near the picture house the other day and there were two people and it sounded like they were on a first date and they were going to see poor things no just like god be with you <laughs> <laughs> honestly that was a very very you chose poorly But there
3: it's might like be some furious jumping maybe you a, never know perha-
4: if yeah. it goes well furious jumping
0: all I'm night sorry. long <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seems unlikely though Of this week's uh, selection, what would you take a date to? Oh, holdovers, absolutely. The holdovers? Mm, Yeah. yeah. Holdovers would be
3: good, yeah.
0: Not mean girls? No, no, because like that, you'd be furious at the end of it, you know. (laughs) The end we start from, relentless misery. I
3: mean... I mean, by comparison, I guess I'd look cheery, you know. Okay,
0: all right. Ben, you ever had an awkward date? Yeah, one of my first
5: dates with my now wife, so it ended well... Um, It was a weird choice anyway. We went to see Django Unchained. It literally just come out. Not not a great choice anyway, but uh, two things that I learned about her very early on. She loves horses and she's not a big fan of gore. And in the first, I'm gonna say five minutes of Django Unchained, a horse's head gets like blown up. And then the film continues for two hours and 40 minutes, including Quentin Tarantino doing that Australian accent. (laughs) And I think I just spent the whole of the film just going, this was a terrible choice. This was really, really a terrible choice.
0: Horse violence was a bad move. But here we are,
5: it worked out well.
0: Like my wife, she hates people called Henry and serial killers. So I took her to see Henry, portrait of a serial killer. Um, she hates people called Frank, Daniel, and Lawrence. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know if I ever. I don't. I've I've been on a very successful dates. Uh, thank you very much indeed. No, I haven't. Uh, Someone was so shocked by that they've dropped something. <laughs> Outrageous. Uh, Yeah, I I honestly haven't been on that many dates To the movies, the movie cinemas Um, uh, You're going very, very Way, way back in my past Um, I I think I took a girl Once to see Christ, what was it? The Naked Gun 2? I think The Naked Gun 2 And (laughs) I'm very I'm very, shut up, don't talk to me Watch the film (laughs) She never called, she never called back Anyway, it is what it is Anyway, I'm happy now Next question, please. Helen, choose someone.
3: Okay. Well, I was going to try and some somebody on this side just to give the other person with the mic something to do. There's somebody down here. The other
0: person with the mic. Oh, to there's one, the have
3: you got somebody up there? If you have somebody ready, then... Oh, we have brilliant. someone ready. There's oh, a is mic. Great. This is a great yes, idea. Did you,
0: just, the mic. did you Hello. bring your own mic?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I've been holding this for like five minutes. <laughs> this is amazing. That's what I said on my date. <laughs> I genuinely
4: did take my very pregnant wife to see the end we start from last night.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh wow!
4: Boy. Did, that was I a ever, bold move yeah. <laughs> it did however give me hope for parenthood because nothing can be that stress induced there
3: you go you see it works I guess
4: I was just wondering in the context of uh, Daniel Kaluuya's new film for example George Clooney recently back in the director's chair perhaps depending on the way you edit this Ray Winston talking about Gary Oldman and Ill by Mouth who are your favourite actors
0: turned directors? Clint Eastwood Robert Redford, Clint Redford, and (laughs) Robert Eastwood. No, uh, Clint Eastwood's like, he's one of the few um, people in the history of Hollywood that where you could have a really thick and weighty box set, and box set obsessed tonight, but of Clint Eastwood, Actor movies, and then have another one of Clint Eastwood as director movies, and there wouldn't be a huge amount of crossover. Like he's he, sometimes he he's not in the movies that he directs. Bird is is obviously one I'm I'm thinking of, um, but yeah, he's just he, and he's been doing it for fifty years as a director. And I think the one that he's about to come out might be the last one that we ever see him. Uh, On the big screen and maybe the last one he's gonna he's he's gonna direct as well I can't quite remember what it's called, but yeah Clint Eastwood for me. He is the absolute man I mean and what classics as well starts off with playing Misty for me good solid second film is Fucking outlaw Josie Wells. I mean that's a mic drop right there. It's incredible But Robert Redford I mean quiz show is one of the hardy perennials for me. I think he's he's tremendous
3: um, Greta Gerwig is in, we've just been talking about, it, in, the, uh, in the BAFTA um, snubs, uh, so that's an obvious person, I guess. Um, I can't.
4: James Cameron this. is in Entourage.
3: No, no. Therefore,
4: is technically an actor. No,
3: he's a director turned actor. And fine. therefore wins. He's all th- the timeline doesn't make sense, Shut James. up, Helen.
4: Uh, other than that, I don't know, like Ben Affleck. Big, big fan of Ben yeah, Affleck's work. Yeah, yeah,
3: good director.
5: Good uh, I think he's a good choice for that. Um, i'd go uh, another recent one jordan peele i think we mm-hmm. think of have more as a filmmaker yep. now than an actor but like for me those three films he's made two of them i think are masterpieces uh I, us is still very good but i think nope and get out oh, you think Nope is the masterpiece us? oh i think nope I, no I, I really didn't get nope first time i would just i just didn't couldn't get a handle on it same and then I ended up seeing it three times at least in the cinema. Once at Picture House Central mm. showed it on 70 mil in their gorgeous Scream One. And it like blew my mind. Every time I've seen it, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. I think that's yeah, absolutely outstanding. Um, and yeah, I think it's almost easy to forget now that he kind of came from a uh, mm-hmm. acting and comedy background because he's so confident as a filmmaker. I he's got a, a new one in the works this year. I think it was mm-hmm. supposed to be out by Christmas yep. because of all the strikes last year. It's now going to be next year, but cannot wait to see where that ends up being. Mm. Also favs, Favs.
4: Favs.
0: Favs. Good call. Favs. Hello Favs. Hello Favs. Yeah. Uh yeah. Shane Black uh, is someone I'm if you can crowbar James Cameron in I'll crowbar no, Shane Black No that's fair. In. That yep. is fair. Uh but yeah no it's fairly fair. It's, oh. It's Clint Eastwood, like I keep talking about I don't know who reads the magazine here Hopefully all of you will uh, pick up this incredible Glow in the Dark edition after this Uh, But we have a regular called The Ranking uh, Which is occasionally a podcast, shut up Uh, And uh, I keep thinking Clint Eastwood would be a great one to do Because you could literally do Clint Eastwood actor one month And then the next month director And maybe I will, fuck it, you know what? (laughs) I am, so that's what we're going to do Next please, James, choose someone uh and uh, does not be balcony you know balconyist Mike, like, yeah i feel
4: i feel this gentleman got sort of oh, like okay. catfished briefly so he should, right. he should have the mic it's okay i can be catfished every now and again uh so we've all just seen ben's brain melt over mean girls beautiful what were your three moments when that happened when you had a how is this being remade now like like situation because I recently, well, when it came out that they were remaking Moana, I curled up into a ball
5: and cried.
1: (laughs) Make way. Make way, make
5: way. Even Um, with that, it's in like an ecosystem of what Disney's been doing for a long time. There was something specifically about Mean Girls and it not being like a franchise film or a a sci-fi thing and we, we've been living in the like requel era so everything they've been doing they stopped doing remakes and started doing legacy sequels was so, like, the mean girls in particular
1: mm. just spun
4: mm. the i'm with you and see i'm with helen on this it's like remake bad films like, and I, I get it this isn't a remake it's an adaptation of the stage musical i get that but it is like the bad films are bad and could be good make them good the good films are already good leave them the fuck alone <laughs> like it's just it's just there's something about it doesn't quite make sense
3: yeah I, and at least this is like you know Transferring genre a bit, and, and yeah. that's kind of a bit more forgivable. We're, I mean, the the thing that's actually immediately springing to mind for me is stuff like when they announced they were making a new Spider-Man film, and it had been five minutes since the last one, you know, but it was going to be a whole new Spider-Man, oh, Spider-Man, oh, and I was a bit like, oh, for God's
4: yeah. sake. It's almost like they're only doing it to retain the rights.
3: And in fairness, like, the, the point, I mean, I, I thought that a little bit before the Andrew Garfield ones, and then I really thought it before the Tom Holland ones, and then, obviously, the Tom Holland one was delightful, and I loved it, and it, great, and so... Genuinely, this is why we have our everyday as Christmas Eve attitude because it can be great, of course. Yeah. But there are those moments where you're like, you ju- you've just gotten through doing this. Like every time they, now that they announce a Terminator thing, I'm like, oh. you just, you just did it already, and it yeah. didn't work then. And what's different now? Ugh. But like, I re- that said, I didn't hate Dark Fate, so mm. you know, maybe I, remember I didn't.
4: When they did, when they announced they were making Jumanji, and don't get me wrong, Jumanji is far from a classic, but, but. They said, you know, I'll oh, come on, on set. I got offered a set visit for Jumanji and turned it down because I didn't believe it was possible to live in a world where a Jumanji remake was a good film. The set visit was in Hawaii. Uh, and I didn't go. And it's fucking delightful. I remember you came back from the first screen, didn't you? And it's fucking, it's, it's great. And I was like, no. No.
0: No. And it was delightful. It,
3: was. it can uh,
1: happen. I don't, I,
0: I don't know. I don't honestly know if I've. Had my brain baked by the prospect of a remake because the original still exists for me. I'm sure there's lots of evidence over 600 episodes of me going, I can't fucking believe they're remaking this film. <laughs> and you can play it back at me ad infinitum. But generally, I take a kind of kind of philosophical approach to remakes. And, you know, hopefully, it will be good. There is ample um, ample examples out there of. Remakes that are all timers. John Carpenter's The Thing is is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven is another one that Wizard of Oz Wizard of Oz, technically. Um, any of the His Girl Fridays, The Front Page. You know, switching channels. Not as good, uh, but you know there is so many remakes that surpass the original that I'm okay with it. And, you know, the law of averages suggests that they'll get it right eventually. But I will say this, touch back to the future and I will fucking end you. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, can I ask off the back of this, though, what, what was it like
5: all the horror remakes in the early 2000s, because when I was growing up, that was like, this is just what they do, and yes, we're doing this again. And now if they were like, oh, we're gonna just straight up remake The Babadook, or It Follows, and it's like the same movie, just with a younger cast, and we're just doing it again. That would feel strange. Did you feel that with the
0: horror remakes in that era? Ben, are you asking me, I'm very fucking old. Sounds like you're asking me.
3: Granddad, what was it like in the early 2000s?
0: Well, kids, gather around and old Poppy Chris will tell you about the time they remade the Evil Dead. Well, (laughs) technically, of course, Evil Dead 2 is a remake of the Evil Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, No, it doesn't... uh, Don't don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, don't give a shit.
3: In fairness, a lot of those movies were coming after a series of very bad sequels. So it kind of felt like, I mean, if they're going to go back to the beginning and start over, maybe that's a good thing at this point, you know?
0: We always have the original. We'll always have the great Nightmare on Elm Street. I was on set at the Hitcher remake. Um, In a country, America uh, You know, and that was That was fun, but you know, you know it's never going to be As good as The Hitcher, by the way, if you've never seen The original Hitcher, see uh, Yes, thank you very much indeed, see Thomas Howell Jennifer Jason Lee, Rutger Hauer Is fucking brilliant. Seek it out. It's great. The remake, not so much, but I did enjoy meeting Sean Bean,
1: so that's good.
0: I never got to pitch the feature in Empire where we go on a day trip with him and call it Mr. Bean's holiday, but perhaps one day. (laughs) Perhaps one day. Ben, we are running rapidly out of time. It's your turn to choose someone. Choose someone in the audience. Perhaps this man up here in the balcony. I was going to say, this guy with the big hair here, because he... Speeding towards him with a microphone. Yes. Okay. We're going to go balcony. We're going to go balcony, and then we can go down to this person here. Okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, Chris, thanks. I just want to say thanks for the Mission Impossible specials. They are amazing. Um, <laughs> very, uh, very little to do with me, but <laughs> thank you very much. Having done all of them, if you could ask Tom Cruise one question about any Mission Impossible film, what would it be? <laughs> and is there any world where you get McHugh and Tom in the same room to do a part two for The Reckoning? Yeah, as in, get McHugh and Tom into do Dead Reckoning part one, or? Uh, part two, or a spoiler special with Tom Cruise involved. Watch this space. Mm. Woo! That's not a promise, no, by it's, the way.
3: It's, it's very much a, uh, let's it is hope very so.
0: Much, like it. it is very much my dream that uh, we will round things off. Um, I don't know whether the next one's gonna be the last one, but that, you know, it would make sense. Uh, and I'm going to commit Tom Cruise to this now, publicly. <laughs> it would make sense for him and Macquarie to uh, to to cap things off by coming in here and talking to you guys for four or five hours. That would, that would be nice. I would I'd, love to do I'd that. I'd
3: love to know when he felt closest to death doing those films.
0: Probably the end of a four or five hour spoiler special. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. Uh, what's Tom Cruise moment would I ask him about? I would love to ask him about uh, you know, for for as much as I love the Macquarie films, I think the iconic scene from Mission is the fault in the first one. And just what was that like filming that? And, and did it pinch his nuts? Because <laughs> it must have done. The harness. The harness, that is. I don't mean anyone else. I don't mean. I'm not asking if Rolf Saxon is. CIA analyst William Donlow pinched Tom Cruise's nuts. Anyway, will someone else please I take hope, this question? I you ask him that when you do get him on. I will, I will, <laughs> I will, yeah. <laughs> okay. Someone else please answer that question.
3: I've already done so.
0: Have you? Yeah. Please send another cake? <laughs> yes. More cake. More cake. I, I didn't have a lot of the Tom Cruise cake this time. I did. Yeah.
4: You, you took one fucking home,
0: that, like a whole cake.
4: <laughs>
0: because
5: there was a whole cake left.
0: Yeah very sad. Uh, all right, we've got to be real quick, real quick speed round. Yes, please. This, this Hello. This guy with the big
5: yep. hair has come from Australia. Big. <laughs>
3: Hello, I would see you again. Hello. Hey, you're sitting <laughs> next to the other Australian guy.
0: It's okay, Helen. Oh, my oh, God. God, I'm from Australia. I speak Australian. Good <laughs> <laughs> <G'day>, mate.
9: <laughs> oh shit, we're both from
5: Melbourne. So. Yeah. Fair
0: dinkum. We... Like I said, they're both from Melbourne. No, oh, you're still speaking Australian. All right, yeah, understand. that's true. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Sorry, mate, yes?
8: This is for him as well, actually. Oh. So, I guess. I didn't catch that. I was wondering what the best and possibly underrated- Do you have a microphone? I do, but is it working? Hey! hey! I was wondering what the best and possibly underrated like cinematic attractions are in London, Film locations, cinemas, exhibit yeah. spaces for
4: our itineraries yeah. and these locals. <laughs> It's a, it's a good question. I know what yeah. you're going to say as well. Old so Royal Naval well College. It. It's Greenwich Naval College, is it? yeah. Old Royal We're...
3: Naval College. Um, everything has been filmed there. Like once you know, once you know it a little, just have a wander around, and then every film you see for the next ten years, at some point you'll be like, "Yeah, hey, the boys on the boat. It plays Berlin. I, the man from Uncle. Yeah, I think it also played Berlin." Red, too. It played Moscow.
0: Napoleon. It's
3: Napoleon, it plays Paris. Cruella. It played London, but a different bit of London.
0: Thor, The Dark World.
3: It played London, but the same bit of <laughs> the London. The same bit of London. At The Dark Knight Rises, it played Florence.
0: Hobbs and Shaw.
3: It played a different bit of London.
0: <laughs> I sometimes walk past there on my way to the DLR to get into the office on the rare occasions I go into the office. And, a, a, and one day I was walking past it, and it was liberally, and I mean liberally, bedecked in Nazi memorabilia and <laughs> Nazi regalia. Uh, and it turned out to be The Boys in the Boat, like the most unassuming movie, and there's George Clooney throwing up Nazi um, regalia. Um, we, we laughed about it. Uh, whenever I spoke to him on the podcast, of course. Yeah, not not at the time. It was very serious. But yeah, Nazis. I hate these guys.
1: <laughs> hey, <laughs> I,
0: I, I had to say it. Yeah. If
5: you're an Edgar Wright fan, go to the Toucan for a pint in Soho. Uh, but also watch out because you know there's all that tension in last night in Soho. They really build up. Like, is somebody going to get run over outside the toucan <laughs> All the time, you see people nearly getting run over. <laughs> so be very careful. Also, obviously, everybody has mixed feelings on this these days, uh, but if you do have affection for Harry Potter, and you can go to the, the studio tour thing in Watford is, is amazing if, if is you great. love that stuff.
0: Or you can go to uh, just King's Cross, which is, I believe, quite close from here, and they have Platform 9, uh, 3, and 4, it's, uh, which is... And, and you see loads of tourists, and they've got the, the, the trolley, and they're always going... <laughs> <laughs> I've done that, I've done that very thing. Fucking thing doesn't uh, apparate into the wall at all. It's, it's disgraceful, quite frankly. Also, bits of that are closed at the moment. They're
5: what? Something
0: with I walked through the station today to get here. And oh, that's cancel something. culture for you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I've said too much. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, one last question.
5: Yes, I was just going to say, if you go to Somerset House, that is where Rita Ora starts the drag race <laughs> in Fast and Furious 6.
3: I'm not sure it is. I think that's the one off Whitehall. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I hate shit. to disagree. I'm sorry. There was, a, there was a hand way up in the middle there, a lady with shiny hair.
0: Oh, Newman's Passage. Newman Passage. Newman Passage. Uh, Peeping Tom.
3: Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Bit harsh. Seems perfect.
0: Oh, oh, oh! Uh, And you can recreate Thor: The Dark World by going to the Bakerloo line at Charing Cross and getting the train to Greenwich. Just three stops. So there you go. Okay, I believe this is the last question. I'm so sorry, but um, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Make it great.
3: Also, Dune. Dune. Sorry, tradition. Um, I wanted to ask what film you think is better than the source material. So, for example, Fight Club. My Jaws. a good example. Ooh. Jaws. <gasps> yeah, that's... Proudness. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. um, that one where uh, Tony Collett and Cameron Diaz in her shoes. Basically, <laughs> that's such the, a weird the, one. <laughs> I don't... Look, I'm just saying <laughs> just start with a not great book. Start with a book that's fine. The Godfather, I think, often gets
4: agreed for this as well. Yeah,
0: that hey. book is not as good as the film. Yeah, the Running sure. Man would be another one. Uh, I was going to say yes, in, terms of, in terms of Stephen King because it's, it's quite tough. But I genuinely think that Shawshank Redemption is better than Rita Hayworth of yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah,
3: that's fair, that's fair.
0: And um, a very controversial opinion, as you can tell by the, the <laughs> ooze. Uh, what's better than the source material? Civil War. <laughs> Captain America Civil War is better than the, uh, the comic book that inspired it. Yeah, I fucking, I said it, I fucking said it. Wow. Madam Webb, Madam Webb! <laughs> oh yeah, they did their best. Is
5: it, it, it's, it's the original Civil War comic, is that a Mark Miller? Yes. Ron Miller, like, I think most of them kick-ass, I think it's better as a Kingsman,
0: film. Kingsman, because people forget that Kingsman was developed simultaneously by Mark Miller, and I think Dave Gibbons was the artist on Kingsman uh, at the same time that Matthew Fawn was developing his, and they're very... Weirdly, the same, but then deviate massively. Wanted as well, if we're in Mark Miller world. Wanted, yeah, yeah.
6: Which is Westwick
0: better? is of Eastwick. I, haven't I read that. yes, okay. I agree with that. Yeah, because I I try to read the um, the John Updike novel. I was far too young for it. Maybe I should take another run at it, uh, uh, but I didn't get it. Also, the Book of Eli is better than the Book of Eli. <laughs> True story. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, none of the adaptations of the Necronomicon have been <laughs> particularly <laughs> successful. I'd have to that's say. Weird. Evil Dead 2 is better than a source material. The Evil Dead. Because <laughs> let me tell you about how the Evil Dead 2 is a remake. Well, cockney there at the end. Remake! It's a remake! Uh,
5: yeah, uh,
0: Frog and Toad. Uh,
5: yes, on, ben? on the Jaws line, uh, Jurassic Park as well. Like, yeah. there's Jurassic Park. In the
0: book, yeah. But the the film is, you know, yeah. the best thing that's ever Unbeatable. existed. Mm. On that note... That is it for episode 600 of the Empire podcast, folks. Oh, yeah. OK. Join us. Join us next week. We'll be back in the studio. No room, sadly. Uh, for more film-related fun, we'll be joined by... Paul Giamatti and Alexander Payne the star and director of The Holdovers. That's, that's exciting. We'll also be joined by Paul Meskell and Andrew Scott, stars of All of Us Strangers. And yes, we did ask them to come along tonight. And no, they were in Ireland. Uh, I can imagine Andrew Scott running around his family. Did you, did you miss me? 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 Uncle Ken, did you miss me? And we'll also be joined by... what? Blitz Bazawuli, who is the director of the musical version of The Color Purple, although not if you watched the trailer, <laughs> uh, which is exciting. So that's, good. that's a good lineup. That's a good lineup. But uh, here's something else that's exciting. We are going back on tour. Whoa! Yes, indeed. <laughs> although we might reconsider it after that reaction. <laughs> Uh, because four of you demanded it And you all applauded there uh, We are going back on tour in March Across the UK <laughs> This is the funny bit We don't know where, we don't know when <laughs> But we, uh, but, uh, but we are going to make it happen And we're going to announce it all formally Very, very soon So if you've ever complained About the fact that we only do live shows in London uh, Then this is your chance To not complain anymore And come along and see us It'll be a, a lot of fun So check out the social for that. Uh, Some very, very quick thank yous for contributing spot prizes. Who had a spot prize tonight? Hands up. Okay, uh, thank you so much to Signature Entertainment, to Fetch, to Sony Pictures. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. <laughs> to Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, to the Criterion Collection. Stop trying to make Re- Criterion Collection happen. To Tony's Chocolate Lonely, to Picturehouse Cinemas, uh, to Mike at Warrior <laughs> Entertainment, uh, and uh, maybe there's one or two others that I will seamlessly insert in here, and you won't even know the difference. Uh, very, very much appreciate it. Who? Amanda Little Brown, Amanda Little Brown. Hooray, who is here tonight? Uh, Thank you to Zoe, Becca, Sally, Dan, John, Ben, Giuseppe, Moses, Alessio, Alex, and all the incredible team here at King's Place who make these shows possible and put up with our endless bullshit. So thank you very much indeed, guys. (laughs) Thank you to our incredible guests, Ray Winston. (laughs) Mia McKenna Bruce. And the god of mischief himself, Tom Hiddleston. Thank you to you guys, of course, whether you're watching it here in the room or whether you're watching it at home, completely nude, covered in swarfega, on the streaming thing. Uh, You are the reason we have reached 600 episodes, and I hope you'll stick around for the next 600. Thank you so much, indeed. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) <laughs> by, the time, by the time we reach episode 1200, Ben's going to be one going, let me tell you about the time they made mean girls and I moved to the south. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I am contractually obliged to say thank you to my colleagues of such lethal cunning, Beth Webb and Alex Godfrey, <laughs> who um, asked... Excellent questions earlier on. I wasn't entirely listening, but um, no one was, was attacked or killed on stage, that's good. Uh, um, Heather. Heather. Hello to her, everybody. toodle It's goodbye from James Dyer. It's goodbye from Ben Travis. Bye. And it's goodbye for me. I'm up to start scheduling a tour that begins in less than six weeks. Please, God, have mercy on my soul. Thank you so much for coming. Good night, everybody!